And welcome back to the show. This is the Pure Steel Podcast. And all, as always, this podcast is Pure Steel and Sex Appeal. And speaking of sex appeal, I have Jason Bertram, Paranormal Wisconsin, and also Carl Johnson joining me tonight on the show. I am super pumped up. I have been uh, away in with no service all day just thinking of this show. I've been super, super excited. Um, but right off the bat, this show is brought to you by Lit Beard Company. And as you can tell, I did oil it up for the show. I had to impress Carl and Jason. Um, I used uh, Tux, which is probably my favorite scent from them. I have a bottle laying around. Had one. I'll try here. This is actually, I was one of the first five people to get the scent. So I got, I got my secret bottle here, but I actually got my other one upstairs. A beautiful label. Best damn beard oils that you guys can get your hands on. If you use the promo code STEEL, you get 10% off your first purchase. And, uh, yeah, uh, he also donates. Every, everything you buy also donates to you know, charity and stuff like that. It's I'm not kidding you. The best beard oil on the planet. Best beard shampoo on the planet. Uh, best beard balm. Best boxes. Best T-shirts. Um. And yeah, uh, and also if you guys visit my uh, the Pierce Steel podcast page, uh, the Beard Rebellion Beard Club, and you see, well, I guess I can, I got a big flag behind me, but I also got my hat. I got to show off my hat. Um, we are also doing, uh, you know, an event with uh, Ruck Twenty Two Operation Ruck Twenty Two. Uh, we are selling uh, patches, you know, like. Obviously, like the Beard Rebellion, we are, you know, we are a patch-based group. So I have like New York and Oregon patches. Uh, but we are selling uh, tumblers and we're also doing patches and we're also doing t-shirts. So if you guys are interested, uh, check out my pages and get a hold of me or get a hold of uh, the Beard Rebellion Wisconsin page. And we get you squared away on that. We're doing a lot of great things. Um, I... Uh, pretty cool especially you know obviously darren our president doing an amazing job and uh travis doing a great job everybody on board is doing an amazing job helping out and uh i can't remember the exact date of the event but we are we will be walking the ruck event uh it was 22 miles but i think they shortened it thank god i'm kind of a fat bastard so that would be a little bit of a tough you know, i could do 22 miles but it might be a little bit tough um but uh, it's, it's a great organization. Taryn, who runs it, they just do an amazing job. The event takes place in Madison. Um, so, yeah, just I don't remember the exact date. I'm trying to, I'm, I used to be good at remembering this stuff. But uh, on to the next thing shout out to uh, a former guest of the show, Gerald Mershart, one of his UFC uh, fight this past week in VS Mission. And he is still the uh, middleweight hold there. He still holds the middleweight record for most submissions in, the, in his matches. So um, yeah, congratulations to him. I hope they get him back on the show soon. We do still stay in contact quite often. And uh, yeah, he, could you imagine being like, I, you know, in a division where there's Anderson Silva, Chael Sonnen, Michael Bisbing, uh, Theo's latest, uh, Rosemar, Paul Harris, Damian Maya, all these great fighters and, you know, especially like Brazilian jiu-jitsu backgrounds, all that stuff. And Gerald Mershart from uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, is actually your submission leader in that division. It's kind of a cool thing to think about. Just the kind of, he, the guy is a dog. He's, you know, he's a grinder. He, 
I if you, you can go back into YouTube history, I do have the show up. So if you guys want to learn more about him, feel free. He's a great dude. But um, if you are listening, feel free to comment. We will get your comments onto the show, and our two guests will hopefully have an answer for you. We just had a little bit of discussion, like you know that you know we'll get we'll get into that about being an investigator, which I'm aspiring to be. But um, right off the bat here, I'm going to bring in Jason Bertram from uh, Paranormal Wisconsin. What's up, dude? <laughs> Um, Good evening. Yeah, it's a uh, happy Wednesday, happy Hump Day. It's actually a good way to kind of get your, you know, your week going. You know, doing the podcast. You know, it's really cool to kind of get your week going. Yeah. Uh, how are things for you? Otherwise, good and busy. Great. Yeah, really good. You know, we were busy for it, it took off for the majority of the year. It took off by leaps and bounds, and it, it it backed off a bit. And I think it's because people are starting to leave their house a little more often now. Um, they're starting to get back to work, and but. Right from the start, though, with everything that's been going on in the world, uh, for some reason, we did see an uptick uh, with cases. And most of them I have been able to, you know, talk people through. Uh, but we have, we can talk more, obviously, throughout the show. But we have had some cases where we've had to uh, visit them, uh, take care of them, try to get some answers, uh, come to some conclusions. And we do still still stay in touch with some of those people. Uh, but I am getting... It's kind of hit or miss sometimes, but I am starting to get some uh, some cases coming in uh, recently. So, heck yeah, that's good. It's good that you know. Obviously, it's good that life's getting back normal. It's good that you are also staying busy. And speaking of busy guys, very popular guys, handsome, good looking dudes. We're gonna bring in the next phase of our show here, Carl Johnson. Um, this guy, if you were to make a a Mount Rushmore paranormal investigators. I think I'd put Carl up there with the best of them. I really wouldn't. The things he's done, the knowledge he holds, and uh, obviously being the first guy to investigate uh, the house, the house that inspired the movie The Conjuring, um, and you know just everything he's done, everybody he's worked with. You know, he's he's a very special dude, and I'm really happy that we have this relationship with this guy to uh, come on the show. You know, just just kind of ask out the blue. You know, hey, can I, you know, when do you want me to come on? I was just wait, I was I was literally like waiting for this show to come together to get this going. So here's here's uh, Carl L. Johnson, everybody. There he is. Look at this guy. Hello there. Right into the camera tonight. Yeah, you look good. You look like you've been staying busy. And Jason, yeah, yeah. Sometimes it seems too busy. It's been a hot summer now. I'm gonna miss the summer anyway. I'm gonna miss the hot weather. As oppressive as it's been, sometimes we're in a drought. But yeah, yeah. yeah. What, what do you do in the summer? What, 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 you know, what, what do you what do you all do? Well, uh, starting a new show, actually a podcast myself with my partner in Panorama Paranormal. It's called Panoramic Perspectives, and that's going to debut on August twenty fifth, and that is through Dead Air Full Spectrum, hosted by Ken DeCosta. Although he's going to be in the background for us. Um, I just went uh, this past weekend, uh, Friday and Saturday, attended Ocean State Paracon, which used to take place on the grounds of the Assembly Theater in Harrisville, Rhode Island, near that uh, infamous house, uh, it's the Conjuring House, Round Top Farm. And so we did that. It's in a casino now, uh, Plain Ridge Park Casino, uh, which, you know, gives us plenty of space. So, and uh, I get a lot of requests for cases. Some of them I can answer. I can't just get in the van 
and drive to like Wisconsin or uh, Ohio <laughs> or Oklahoma. And people have seen that on the television shows and they ask if I can come around, but you know, they're, they're very polite about it. You know, it's usually not desperate. You got to come hang out with us though one day. I'd like that so much. We will do that. We got to plan that. In fact, when it cools down a little bit, but then we'll be in soon uh, the rainy season, but yeah. So, Oh, bouncing my camera. Yeah. So I'm uh, dealing with a physical malady. I've had, you know, health issues off and on the last couple of years. I had three bouts of COVID. Uh, you had two uh, other ones after, after the last time you were on yep, the show. 2021. Last time you were on the show, you were, you just got over COVID. Yeah. I was still, my voice was still rough. And yep. uh, then I had an asymptomatic uh, run with it, which, you know, I wasn't aware of it when I was diagnosed, but I had to isolate for you know the 10 days. And then I had one in, uh, late November, which was just like in the first week of December, it was, it was like a cold. That's how I felt. Maybe because I'd been vaccinated. I don't know. And, um, so I had that and I had a terrible problem last, uh, last July with my leg, a, a broken muscle, which almost required some extensive surgery, but it repaired itself. And, um, so those things, but my only problem now, besides, you know, allergies, and that's not too bad this time. Um, is my neck. I have spinal stenosis. You don't want to hear about that, but you know, I, I'm all game. I, now, I, I'm okay. I, as I, long I, as I don't hold my head up or lean my head back or look left or right, you know, or sleep on it, you know? So it's I'm pretty so much time. So everyday you know. life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I go to therapy. It's seems to be, it's increased my mobility, but it's basically over the counter pain remedies is how I deal with it and stretching like that. Sure. But on the paranormal scene, <clears throat> yes, always writing, always preparing something. Uh, I was in two episodes, which premiered two television episodes, which premiered this year. The first was on uh, January 21st. The second was July 6th. So respectively, that was a haunting, a haunting series. And the episode title was uh, Inner Demons. So you can kind of guess the scenario there. And that episode was rated out of the 11 seasons. And to my surprise, that episode was rated number one, most viewed and most popular, most response out of their 11 seasons. So I was like, wow. That's not surprising. Thank, thank you. Yeah, I, I think like, it's like, like, like I told you before, like, yeah. uh, like when they did the casting for, you know, the movie, The Conjuring, it, it's almost impossible to cast you because they got to bring in Brad Pitt. For who? For you. Oh, come now. Yeah, he's he's gotten a little older, so maybe. Well, he has a twin brother, too, ironically. He has a twin brother, so it'd be perfect. You and your brother, boom. That's right. He could play us, yeah. No, absolutely. Because we did, as we touched on, Larry, going into depth about last time, last show, when I was your guest, I had an actually very involved role in the origin of The Conjuring. You know, I mean, the, what inspired the case that inspired that movie. Oh, the next episode was also staged at the, well, Inner Demons was, you know, a private case we addressed. Uh, and then there was on the CW network, there was, uh, it's called the Haunted House in Harrisville. So you can guess where that was centered. And both of those episodes, I partnered with my, my real life research partner, at least Giamarco Carlson, the other half of Panorama Paranormal. So I was very pleased with that. So it's been an active time, and it's not all about television, of course, but television can be fun. You know, it's a, 
get you more noticed. You can tell your story. Uh, you hope it's accurate when you see the edited version, you know. So, well, restoring uh, history is important. I think that's it's yes. very important to you too. You know, because you're just restoring not only like you know the old, you know, like the, the original stories, but like you know, obviously like the afterlife stories too. I mean, these right. stories, you know, it's been documented in Hollywood, so these stories, these stories are going to carry on forever. Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean some of the more classic uh, Hollywood stories, the legend of the lore of Hollywood, which is always fascinating. Um, I mean, I enjoy the movies and all that, but you think movie stars who we were exposed to as children or our parents used to go to the theater and watch. Um, sometimes their ghosts are seen where they, in their last residences, you know, it's always where they last lived in and where they died or where they had lived, you know, sure. up till the time of their death. Yeah. Um, of course there, John Wayne's spirit has been, his apparition has been seen aboard his yacht. And uh, George Reeves, who played the titular role in The Adventures of Superman in the 1950s, his ghost has been seen, you know, in, in his last uh, his last house where he died. That one particularly fascinates me because uh, there's a, I don't recall his name now, but uh, the story is told in the book Hollywood Kryptonite, upon which the, uh, the movie Hollywood Land was based, tells this, you know, covers the story of George Reeves. And supposedly his ghost was seen there when this, this uh, person who became a movie, movie director and producer, he uh, snuck into that house where George Reeves had died a few years before, prob probably just a year before. And uh, he was downstairs and at the top of the stairwell, this boy heard a voice say, what are you doing here, young man? He looked up and saw George Reeves dressed as Superman. Now, hmm. George Reeves was smiling, you know, he had a kind of a half smile on, but he had a bullet hole in the side of his temple, which George Reeves died of a single gunshot to the temple. Wow. And uh, uh, particularly interesting and credible about this story is that the Superman uniform was, it wasn't that bright red and blue and yellow. It was more of a sepia tone, like a muddy brownish color, like gray and brown. Now, what's interesting about that is when they filmed the black and white episodes of The Adventures of Superman, the first two years, um, actually first three years of that series, uh, that's what the, how the costume was. It was muted colors. It wasn't bright blue and red. It, right. was, uh, it was like a sepia color and grayish, grayish tights, because that reacted better to the black and white filming. Now, that boy wouldn't have known that. And that didn't yeah. occur to me to, at first till I realized that you know, I re heard that they filmed him, you know, like that uh, duller uniform to reflect better in black and white. So I think he really did see George Reeves' ghost. <laughs> and Mr. Reeves Pretty seemed cool. to have a, his spirit seemed to have a sense of humor about it. So, yeah, Hollywood and all oh, the stories about Clark Gable's apparition. I mean, just, you know, these, these major stars are sometimes seen. We wonder why some aren't, why some are. I and mean, it's just very fascinating to me. When it's a noted person, you know, a movie star. You always hear stories too, like with Graceland, Elvis still being in Graceland. Yes, Elvis is at. Well, I, we won't let Elvis go. You know, that we have to believe that Elvis is still around somehow. Oh, yeah, his ghost has been seen. But he doesn't, Elvis's ghost doesn't seem to acknowledge people from what I've heard. He's like a residual or atmospheric one. He just is walking by. He's not dressed in his flamboyant costume. He's just seen walking about the rooms.
So it's even more credible. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. As far as your what, podcast, Carl, is this yeah. you know? Are, are your, what are what are going to be your topics of discussion? That's interesting. You asked that because we were just my I and my partner were discussing that today, this morning. Uh, we will have varied topics. It depends on the guests. We will have an array of guests come on, but we're getting more on the reality of the the parent. Actually, I'll say parapsychology because Elise, my co-host, is a student of parapsychology which examines the propensities of the human mind, you know, ESP, uh, out-of-body experiences, life after death, extrasensory perception. So we're going to focus more on that than like ghosts I have known. Um, we're going to be asking guests and talking amongst ourselves about how real is this great scheme we call paranormal? Uh, that's an umbrella term, but as far as life after death, a ghost you know, attached to a place, you know, what's at the core of it? If you strip away all the mystique and all the, oh my God, I just saw someone. You know, why is this? What are the mechanics? But what could create that? We're trying to get yeah. the answer, trying to strip away. It's a principle called Occam's razor. Now, Occam was a 17th century, I think it was Johannes Occam, uh, 18th, 18th century uh, student of uh, metaphysics and philosopher. He never really lived, from what I heard, but, uh, you know, he's a principal, Occam. And Occam's razor is stripping down information and experience to its core. I call it coring, you know, pairing, getting down to the essentials. You know, we can talk all night about ghosts. You know, I've had some fascinating experiences, things other people have seen. But what makes this happen? What quantum uh, principle could produce a spirit, you know? How can there be something that lacks a body, doesn't really have eyes or sensory organs or a brain, but why does it look at people? Why does it look at living people and sometimes interact with them? Now that, that just can't be. It shouldn't be. But it is. It does happen. So I want to yeah. get more into that during our show. And we're, one topic we're going to broach is, well, many people's favorite, spontaneous human combust combustion, you know. How do people combust all of a sudden? How do people just burn up sitting in a chair? I have ideas. Some people may take a contrary view. Is that a thing, really? Spontaneous human combustion has been well documented. Yeah. Um, I've never even uh, heard of this. And I, like, I love Google. You haven't heard of that? I, I've never heard of that, no. Well, these are instances where uh, someone is found, you know, like someone will touch a doorknob and it's hot, and they'll open up a door and smoke issues out, but it's not that the whole room was incinerated. It's not like a house fire. There will be uh, on the floor or an easy chair, which has been burned and melted. There's usually a leg left, a leg and a foot left of the human subject. The rest is just burnt to cinders. There'll be a little bitty, like a shrunken head skull, a black skull, and there's very little left of the human being and so what's the theory is that is that like a demonic thing that is kind of no like i never associated it with anything uh sinister or demonic i think it is just uh i think it's a i don't want to say supernatural but it's a higher natural uh, phenomenon that makes this happen i think it's a chemical reaction that occurs within the living person and uh there's usually something, some substance connected to that. They were uh, 
drinking heavily or smoking heavily, which most people who smoke and drink don't just incinerate, but some people do. And uh, we're going to have one person on that knows something about this and give his opinion on what is spontaneous human combustion. Kind of disturbing. You know, yeah, Carl, within that, that scope, um, I'm curious if, um, I'm trying to think of the, the term for it, accelerant. Um, yes. I wonder if they're finding that with every case related to the spontaneous combustion, if there is an accelerant that is a part of that, and if they're, you know, because now you're getting into the pathology aspect of yeah. it. And uh, you'd be interested to know if you have to have something whether it be chemicals in the body or just a certain person, you know, you and I both know that being in the paranormal world, there are things that are happening around us that are just, you know, in a sense, kind of beyond our, you know, but that's why we do this right. is to learn to take those stepping stones to get to that answer. And it would be interesting to know if, if those are the, some of the factors. For sure. Yeah. I believe it's extremely rare, but uh, it's a biological accelerant that, uh, that incites this. And once it starts, once that reaction, that chemical reaction is engendered, then it's going, it quickly consumes the body so quickly that it will just uh, singe the chair and the immediate surroundings, but uh, it doesn't burn down the room. It just, the person burns so hot and intensely and quickly sure. that that's all right. left. I think it's natural. Well, heck, I don't need to do a show on this on our new podcast. Let's let's cover yeah. this now. Get this out of the way and decide what it's going to be. Now, we'll, we'll yeah, I mean, come on. We can get this out of the way now. We want to know what needs to happen. My belief is that it's naturally occurring, almost supernaturally occurring, because it ain't normal, but it happens. And a lot of strange things happen in this world. Uh, but I, I think it's that. I don't think it's anything spiritual, except that it kind of removes the spirit from the incinerated body. But I don't think there's anything ghostly about it. Just very mm -hmm. anomalous, strange. I'm like, I'm so absolutely blown away right now by this. <laughs> I've never heard of this. I'm so intrigued. You would be yeah, remembered blown away ever if I suddenly started. Well, some people have just started burning and they were able to put their, their fire out. It's like fire would shoot out of it. They suddenly realized they were on fire and they couldn't explain why. And they they you know, be burned, but they were able to put the fire out before they were destroyed by it. So here's my question. Do you burn from the inside out or the outside in? Actually, it's more an internal thing. There's something stops. They, they, people who have experienced this and survived it claim that they felt all of a sudden felt a, a sharp pain, felt strange within. They look down and that's how fast it is. The fire has started and they, they're sometimes able to put it out. And nobody has come up with a plausible explanation for this, except Sometimes chemicals in, in a plant in, in, in an abandoned mill, for, and this was happening a lot in uh, North County, Rhode Island, some years ago, many abandoned factories. And we thought, oh, it has to be arson. Somebody wants insurance money for that property. But often paint cans, different accelerants, uh, turpentine, if they just fester there, especially in a hot day, the chemical composition will be altered and it inflames and then the mill goes there they're like tinder boxes and the mill goes up in flames so people thought oh it's a rash of insurance you know fraud things but yeah sometimes the, these these chemicals these old paint and turpentine cans and you know solvents chemicals that would be in the mill just start burning and i think something like that occurs in people 
know. So I guess I can kind of see that. Like, if you know, if you worked in like a feed mill, like you know, we'll bring it back yeah. to Wisconsin roots, like feed mill. I could kind of see that, you know, with like your body temperature. If you're working hard all day, your body temperature gets to like a certain temperature. I can maybe see like the dust particles catching, you know, and then maybe that could be part of it. Yes. Well, that can start. That's more more of an explainable uh, cause for it, you know, more mundane. I'm trying, like, I'm trying to process this all at one time. This yeah. is the first time I'm hearing about this. I'm trying to come up with a rational idea in my head. Sometimes like, you can't give a rational explanation of something empiric or empirical. Other times you just don't know why somebody started burning. Interesting, like in the S.K. Pierce house, known as the Victorian Mansion in Gardner, Massachusetts, or Victorian Mance, uh, one person there, one resident, was in his chair in his bedroom. He was drinking heavily. That shouldn't do it. He burned up. I think he also had a cigar with him. Doesn't explain why it wasn't just a house fire. Why did only his body burn up and become a shell? And it's strange. It's like the... The fire exhausts itself because there's almost always a hand or a foot remaining with a shoe or slipper still on it. I mean, you research that, do an internet search, just find some grisly photos of that. Makes you scared. Who's going to burn next? But it's very rare. Much more likely a poltergeist would throw you down the stairs or something. Or, well, you'd walk yeah. in front of a bus or something. But not too many people die of spontaneous human combustion, but there's a name for it. It's documented. Just like poltergeist is rare, but it happens. Poltergeist cases have been documented since the Middle Ages. In fact, so it's real. Like Shakespeare said, there are stranger things uh, than are dreamt of in your philosophy. There are stranger things in heaven and earth, Horatio, than are dreamt of in your philosophy. Sometimes the impossible happens, and eventually we find out what caused it. Hopefully. Yeah. So but speaking of like poltergeist activity. I just watched you on TV, Carl, on Sunday oh. on Fright Club. Oh, and yeah. You were commenting yeah. on the spinning the spinning can on the countertop. Yes. Um, and you can, you gave a good re, you gave a really good response. You, you're 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 a, you're an absolute icon of a human, so you have the best answers. Oh, I've got a lot of, you know to draw on in my past experiences. Yeah. So it seems very very quick witted. So, so that can moving would that be considered poltergeist activity, or you think that'd be like an intelligent spirit just trying to get attention? It's not much difference, really. I mean, poltergeists are thought of as being generated by an adolescent or a disturbed person that you know, and that's the catepsy uh, energy that's being expelled. It's called, and um, I think a poltergeist has a degree of intelligence and willfulness. Um, you know, a spirit could be saying, "I'm here." I mean, that's the great. The great statement of all living things: I'm here. I'm. I matter. Someone else. Something else. Acknowledge me. So could have been a spirit just moving it, but I don't think that it's easy to determine whether it's a human-generated spirit or a poltergeist, or if those are one and the same things. We think a poltergeist is just throwing plates around or wrapping sheets around a post, but poltergeists do some amazing things. A poltergeist can have a voice, a human-like voice. A poltergeist can leave an EVP, an electronic voice phenomena impression. Poltergeist can appear as a person. Poltergeist can uh, take bed sheets and cloth and make a mannequin. They're remarkable, and there's got to be some kind of intelligence behind this. What its origin is, we don't know. We think it's in, you know, very much connected to a living person. 
But a poltergeist can also act independently. People have come home to their home, their houses and find uh, find the house in disarray, or sometimes books stacked up, or sometimes the, you're like a cabinet has moved, a hutch cabinet will move and block a door, all when the family was not at home. So a poltergeist can act autonomously. I think we've underestimated them. It's not always a troubled adolescent uh, that uh, makes plates fly around. Sometimes there's much more to it. And you say, is this is this an intelligence? Is this an interactive spirit? You know, like, well, I had a case and uh, goes back 14 years ago in Coventry, Rhode Island. And when I discussed it and people have interviewed me about it, because uh, so much was going on that they say, now, was this demonic? Was it uh, intelligent interactive? Was it a poltergeist? What was going on there? And I say, yes. That was all of that, and maybe one source. That's why this field is so fascinating. There's always something to speculate about. Always, always, just when you think you've got it figured out, this contradiction, somebody, something throws a monkey wrench into the works, and your theories go out the window. But all those things were happening in that one household. And it was so like great. speaking, on, speaking on that. That's got to be like this is going to be a question for both of you guys, I guess. But like going into like a case, you know, obviously, like, as soon as you walk in that door, you're supposed to have all the answers. But well, like for you, for you, for you guys are like, I feel like if I if I'm getting into the paranormal field, like I'm gonna go, I'm 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 walking into this house now with more questions than having answers. You guys like feel like when you get called on, like you guys you're like you're supposed to have the answers, like right off the bat. Like, what do you say, Jason, about that? What do you encounter when people are? They're usually calling for help. They want an evaluation, but they want the activity to be quelled. What, what well, do you? Yeah, and as both of you know, uh, I come from a law enforcement background, a military background. Yes. So when when I started this back in 2009, my whole premise was is to enter it as a as an officer. Um, I got a call for service. I'm going to come in and I'm going to get all the all the questions answered, and get a background in the family, get a background in the house, get a background as to what they're really what truly what their what their needs are. And you kind of have to take it step by step, not to bash investigative groups um, by no means. Uh, Everybody has their own style. Um, But I do hear and see some people who have asked for help before. And the the person or persons came in and said, well, you've got a porthole going through this wall. You got a porthole going through that wall. And I try to tell these people it's a bit more simplistic than that. I want you to try to come come down to ground here, come to ground level, hear me out and, and let's talk through what you got going on. And when you start to be compassionate and listen to their needs and you start to formulate an opinion, that's when you can start answering their questions and getting them the help that they need and assure them that it's going to be okay. Yes, we get it. They are a bit loud. They are doing things that you don't understand, but they're just people like you are. And they were people in a human form at one time. And we are still trying to figure out what that curtain is in this world as to you got one he- one side here, you got the other side there where we're yeah. in and they're in. Um, and we want to bridge that gap. So to do that, you kind of have to talk these people off the roof and say, hey, you know, you're, you're going to be okay. Everything is going to be fine. And you just stay with them. And that's the key to the success is now when you say, Louie, that, you know, hey, what do you guys do? You just come in with all these answers. Carl comes in a certain way, 
I go in a certain way, but Carl deals with a whole nother world. And I deal with more of a, I would say, John and Kathy down the road have got something going on in their private residence. That's where Jason comes into play. And we find out that it's a little kid that passed away. It was a farmhand. It was something back in the 1800s. You know, you work with an archaeologist, you work with a medium, you get inside there, you use equipment, you use the tools around you. And it really comes down to utilizing your senses as well. And the big part of doing a proper investigation is having the people around you that are within your group to help you through it. And that's that's really where your answers come from. Yes. I always make a predetermination, a predetermination, if you will, uh, to remain objective. And, and I do, you know, clinical, detached. But what takes over is when I meet the clients, when I meet the people with there to help and evaluate their, their environment, their situation, compassion takes over. I start to know them. I see the distress in their eyes. I see them looking, turning to me as if I have answers and I really want to help them. I don't let that influence my actions, but you know, it's like that, that side takes over. I, I really want to help these, but I want to reassure them somehow, you know, uh, often we don't have the answers. Sometimes we do find some answers and we always make an evaluation. I got a question for you, Carl. Sure. With what you're talking about, when you go into a case, do you find this? And I've been doing this for a number of years, obviously not as long as you have. But in the time that I've spent in this, do you find that when we go in and we and we put the work into it, do you find that things tend to calm down? And and for some reason, the whole ghostly happenings start to subside. Are you are you seeing that a lot on your end? Yes, uh, excluding a current case and the, the one before that. Yeah, I, I did make a difference in, in both of them. But the, the current one is a hard nut to crack because nothing seems to address it. Uh, mm. I think it's a, a thing of the mind that has become preternatural, become paranormal. But I think it's rooted in physical problems and how those are interpreted. Um, sure. I'm kind of stymied with this one, but you know, I'm there, there for the client. Uh, yeah, but it does even, I think the, the people we go to help, I think they are aware someone is there to help somebody with some answers or potential for some and finding some answers and just that cognitive effect, uh, somewhat nullifies and negates the haunting activity. It just that somebody's the, the doctor is in. You know, and that seems to make right. things better. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. yeah. And it does seem, people seem better after that. But it, it often, if not always, seems to return after some days or weeks. The activity. Now, for me, a lot of this is mild. So, you know, they people will call and say they've got a real disturbance in their house. Their, their pet, usually a dog or a cat is acting strange and their child is seeing some shadowy figure to me that's all neat i'm thinking well i wish i had that going on but uh, when they're living with it that's different and they don't know it's the unknowing that's, right. that's you know potentially threatening is that's alarming you know that that's what makes people uneasy about it you don't know what's going to happen next when it's going to strike it may be interesting to us the investigators but they have they don't know if they're going to see a figure at the end of their bed during the night. And that's disconcerting. 
I'll give you an example. It's based on a real case, you know, like talking to a, a old woman, a client, and she says, I ask her what's been happening there. And she said, well, I came into the kitchen. I, I put down the salt shaker. I went to the other side of the room. When I came back, it was on the other end of the table. <laughs> we can't live like this. We can't be, you know. <laughs> you know, maybe it was moving the salt shaker for you or you just wanted to get a little notice, you know. We, we can't live like this. We, our family is in turmoil. You know. But, you know, that's short-sighted sometimes on my part because I'm not living with it. Now, I thought I would think that was very neat. I get quite disappointed when I can explain phenomena that's around me, you know, if we figure it out, oh, darn, you know. For instance, where I am now, I am the headquarters of Johnston Historical Societies, Johnston, Rhode Island. President Elise Giamarco Carlson is my research partner. She's president of the JHS. Now, we have a, a phenomenon that occurs here. Uh, the steps, I'm upstairs in the JHS building, our headquarters. And when we walk on those steps, you hear know, creak, creak, creak a little. The boards expand under the weight of our steps and then they contract again. So about 15 minutes later, you'll hear someone walking up the steps. Plug, jump, jump, jump. And that's perfectly explainable because the steps, that particular grain of wood and the weight of our bodies combined to make an effect Sounds like somebody walking up the stairs. In a sense, it's our ghost, the, our weight. And uh, but uh, we hear enough noises that sometimes we wonder. Is that a you know you're knocking? Okay, sometimes there's a woodpecker, but sometimes you just can't explain. You're a, an extraneous voice. Now this building is only about 21 years old now. Uh, some sections are younger. Some you know another section is 15 years old. Uh, so what would start a haunting here? Except we talked about the paranormal a lot because we also use this as our panorama paranormal headquarters and have a lot of interesting discussions here on the grounds is the uh 1825 house the elijah angel house that is haunted we've had three different persons who didn't know each other unrelated reported seeing the ghost of a man there a man mm -hmm. dressed in black with a top hat they all describe the same person obviously it's the ghost they see it uh, we elise and i have tried to call the spirit forth, but he, uh, he's kind of recalcitrant. He, I don't know if anybody will ever see him again. But uh, a lot of these hauntings and is in the old house, especially they're incidental. You know, they happen when you're not looking for it. All of a sudden the man is there, just happened to be there at the right time. There's maybe some shift in the dimensional plates. It's my own theory. They collide and they, the ghost can be seen. Uh, whether it still exists we, we don't know. But a lot of these haunting symptoms can be explained, like like the steps, wraps on the wall. Sometimes it's a woodpecker. Sometimes mm -hmm. we just can't, ex we can't explain a voice when we hear that. Um, right. Yeah. So, yeah, we want to help and we try to supply answers. I find that most people, and I think uh, Jason will corroborate this, they want the supernatural explanation because that's a shortcut. That's a solution supernatural explanation is it oh it's a ghost you have a residual haunt you have someone's great-grandfather still attached to you died in this house you know you have a poltergeist they got an answer it's demonic yeah you know right. uh, 
Whereas it takes a while to really, if you ever determine what is the source, it takes a while to evaluate because because there are yeah. so many possibilities. Yeah, yeah, and I when it when it comes to investigating, that's the first thing that I when we're, when I talk with my client over the phone or over email, usually over the phone. Yeah, I like to do a preliminary investigation, go there, get readings, talk them, let them know our process. And when it comes to these clients, um, you're absolutely right. The first thing they say is, I want to make sure I'm not crazy, which is a ridiculous term. I try to talk them out of it. Uh, and number two, um, they always err on a side it's, it's paranormal. And I try to tell them that, look, we, we tend to find alternative um, explanations for these things until we can't, until we have to err on a side of paranormal. Now, we've had cases where, where we've had somebody with that has committed suicide and they've yeah. just come right out and screamed in our microphones and mm. they hit this and they bang that. And I was I was telling uh, Louie that off camera that we had a case recently um, at, a, at an exotic club of all places. Huh. And and the um, employees uh, came to the owner and said, you know, we think we got a ghost here. Well, it's one of those things where you get a lot of drinking involved and stuff. You hear some noises and you think you're in and they start to talk and it's exciting and they want a ghost and they want a ghost. Well, we get there and and Carl and the people watching, uh, it was immediate. It was absolutely immediate. I set up a ramp pod downstairs. Um, Carl, I'm sure you've done shaving a haircut where you go dot, 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 and that thing grabbed a hold of our ramp pod and went that, that, like that. Um, and at first, at first, I thought somebody was hiding in the basement. Okay. And I'm like, you know what? If I find the person, I'm going to be really pissed off. Okay. Right. We, we got the Absolutely. I mean, because we had cameras set up and equipment and everything else, and we're asking all the right questions. And Carl immediately it's banging on everything. It's banging on wow. everything. It's kicking. Yeah. And it was just, if you want, if you want to say it was a noisy spirit, if you want to say it was a poltergeist, that's fine. But whatever is there uh, <laughs> was really having a good time when we were there. Um, and how did you feel, Jason, when that was happening? Did you feel like, Rewarded, flush with success, excited. I mean, I would feel gratified. You know, just well, and that's just that definitely. Yeah, you hit it. You hit it right on the head. The yeah. owner was there with us. She wanted to hang with us, and that's fine. We don't we don't mind that a bit. Um, and I thought to myself, you know, we're going to prove to her that there's nothing going on, right? And and as soon as we, I mean, because my wife was setting up the cords, and we always record while we're setting up. My wife was setting up the cords and one of the voices said, help me because my wife was struggling with the cords. And when we listened to that, it was a female saying, help me kind of like, um, hello, can you please help me? And right from the bat, I'm like, my gosh, I, I told the, our group, I'm like, oh. I said, it was immediate, just absolutely immediate. So to answer your question, yeah, it was, it was rewarding. It was exciting. Um, and it was kind of like one of those things where we're like, Hey, now you can believe your employees. Uh, they're they're telling mm -hmm. you the truth. Yeah, because we're so much more accustomed to finding little or nothing, and when you hit pay dirt like that, you know, yeah, like, and then you say, "Now I know why I'm into this." Now I know right. why I keep coming back. Yeah, when you get a little bit of everything, I mean, even I had REM pods set up, and it was playing with us. I mean, one REM pod would go off, we run over there, another REM pod would go off that way, and 
uh, it was it was just it was the perfect scenario for ghost hunting. Yes, I got that effect that shaving a haircut once. I was at uh, historic Slater Mill where I was employed for fourteen years. I took a tour of Slater Mill today. Uh, you know, I've been away from there for two years, but you know, I take a couple of tours in the meantime. But Elise, as president of the Johnston Historical Society, organized a field trip, so some of our members went there. And, you know, it's a homecoming for me. And I remember one night, oh, this must be easily uh, 10, 11 years ago, probably 2010. Uh, and I had an eyewitness there. I rapped on an old post, which had been there since, I would say, since uh, 1821. That post had been in mm -hmm. place. So I give it like, and I got it. Got it back, you know. Now it's just a tail. I don't have it recorded. Now it oh, may, makes the camera look like there's an earthquake happening. Seismic activity. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so, yeah, once that worked for me, I didn't expect it to. But, you know, a, yeah. maybe because I wasn't anxious about it. Maybe because I didn't really expect it to follow through. That's why it did. Yeah. That was great. Now, what does that show? There's a mind that is similar to ours to do that. I'll give this guy what he wants. You know, does the spirit like me? I mean, it's not too removed from us. Sometimes they seem to think similar to our thought processes to the living right. people. Right. Really well, and that's it. Humor. No? Right, exactly. And that's just it, Carl. I mean, shaving a haircut has been around forever. It, yeah. We were lucky. On the, we, we've got it on recording. We actually have it on video. Um, and it's fantastic. Um, but what people understand and the people watching, listening, what they have to understand is, they're looking at us in present day if they can see us. And the, the only thing what they are familiar with is their world at that time. So if we're dealing with somebody like, let's say, from the 1800s, you know, they're they're probably too shy, scared and trying to trying to figure out, you know, you know, what are these things that these people are laying out? What is this thing shining in my face? Again, I don't know if they can or whatever, but based upon the voices that we've captured, they are only going to associate with us based upon how they are or were at that time uh you know you know in today's world we're very we're just la -di da we we tell it like it is we say what we want profanity is never you know is always on the table you know and we follow some of the most ridiculous people in the world or what have you but back in that time period there is more of you, you didn't interrupt an adult you know, you kept quiet. You you were very polite to your guests. You know, so was, you have to understand the time period, and that's a lot of times what people don't understand um, is that that's the world that they're used to or, or we're used to. So it's interesting how the spirits. And I'm generalizing. The spirits don't seem to ad adapt much. They don't evolve. I don't know how aware they are that something has dramatically changed for them. But I'll give you an example of a. There are at least two obvious children's spirits in old Slater Mill in Pawtucket, Rhode Island, the old buildings. And one of the, the little boys named Jacob, uh, we needed a name from other spirits had given us their name sometimes on recordings. Uh, I call this boy Jacob because that came out on an obelisk and I had been thinking of the name Jacob that day and then it came out. So, okay, we'll call him Jacob, we'll call him something. Um, he would say, hello, yeah. hello clear as anything we had a paranormal mm. group you know they're investigating and he we're in a circle trying to communicate 
you know, I always, I was overseeing, but I always participated and little boy, it sounds like a boy. Hello. And people upstairs, like, uh, maybe a week before we had a public paranormal opened, you know, like you had to make reservations and all that. Uh, but they were upstairs and they told me, you know, we're hearing hello. Somebody said hello up there. So that's, that's what the little guy says. And, you know, this spirit, perhaps he was uh, a living person to the age of eight, nine, ten. So let's say he had a 10-year lifespan. But he's been disincarnate. He's been a ghost for perhaps 150 years, you know, a century and a half. Right. He's been a ghost much longer than he was a living person, but he still reacts like that living person, like that boy. Right. He hasn't evolved. Right. He hasn't right. gone. He's still shy, but interacts with people. You know, he'll sometimes giggle. He touches people. We call, we think the, the boy was there because of that hello, because a lady working in the weaving room saw a barefoot boy run across the floor and go to the stairs, but didn't hear him go down the stairs. And the children would work barefoot there because, you know, the floor would be slippery with oils. Sure. She didn't know sure. that at the time. And people would often, especially ladies, not always, but especially the, the females would be touched on the leg. Now that's about the height of a boy. That's what a little boy would do. If he was trying to get your attention or a child. And Absolutely. you could actually touch this. This cold spot would move around the mill. And at first it would play hide and seek with successive ghost hunts staged at the mill. It was um, not contrived, but, you know, taking place at the mill. Uh, it was more frequent. It would be stable for longer. And you could actually put your hand down and uh, uh, feel where it started. It was about three feet off the floor, height of a child. And all of a sudden it's cold and your fingers would be tingling. And you could actually trace it. So, I mean, how real that was. If that's a natural phenomenon, I don't know what could do it. This energy pocket would move around. And well, I, yeah. would have, uh, I would ask the ladies to embrace this child, comfort him. That was our little Jacob. So yeah. a lot was and, and, but he was there. Well, and to piggyback, yeah, the, to piggyback on that story, basically long story long uh, from on my end is uh, we had a farmhouse where um, our complainant, our caller, um, had said that a Kleenex box kept being, you know, whacked off the back of the toilet, and she just couldn't take it anymore. It was scaring the hell out of her. And um, when we got in there, we caught a little girl. Uh, my my daughter was actually investigating with us, and uh, my daughter had a, a head cold, and we caught a little girl go at chew like that as kind of like a, a funny type. You know, because she could hear, you could hear my daughter sniffling. So that obviously we listened to it later. But when you had said the ovulus, our ovulus kept saying apple tree, apple tree, highway, apple tree, highway. Um, and then it said girl. And then it said dirt. And we, we couldn't figure out, the, we couldn't really figure out the whole apple tree, but there was one by the highway. So why was it telling us that? And I ended up talking with some of the locals at a bar. Uh, shortly after the investigation and it was just it was so weird and how everything aligned in talking with somebody about this investigation one of the locals had said oh my gosh you're talking about the little girl a full farm girl that fell from the silo mm -hmm. they used to bury the kids on the land and mm -hmm. she was buried by the apple tree so and it's just fascinating how your equipment can really help you out 
So yes. in that sense, you never left home. Well, and, and that's what, yeah, exactly. That's what makes a good investigator is I kind of went above and beyond. I, I, I just kind of, I went to the local places, had a drink, started talking with people. So this is them. Some laugh nine times out of 10, they've got a ghost story of themselves. So they just want to talk to you all night, you know? So who'd you have to drink? A uh, spotted cow. <laughs> Carl, you ever, you ever had a spotted cow? No, I haven't. Tell me about it, please. It's, uh, exclusive to Wisconsin. It's the best damn beverage in the world. <laughs> Does it have really chocolate good. in it? No, it's uh, no chocolate. No, no chocolate. It's just a damn good beer. You can't get it. You know, like I always laugh because, like, like the Illinois people, like, go home. They like literally load their car up. And drive it home with them. They literally load up a trunk to take it back down there with them. Wow, it must be good. Is it like a yeah. lager or is it just a solid domestic beer? Or that's hard to explain. That. You got that? I'd like to try it. it. Yeah. Are you familiar with um, Blue Moon? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So it's that. along that lines, kind of like the Belgian, which where a little bit of lemon to it, lemon taste. Yeah, I can remember. Um, it was a little citrusy. I remember Blue yeah. Moon. So, yeah, it's, it's a wonderful beer. Uh, but I do have to tell you, Carl, before I forget, um, you had sent me um, the picture um, a while back of a, of a when a gentleman had just taken the picture running out of the house at the right time. Yes, I know that one. Yeah. Okay. So I just wanted to thank you for that because we had our presentation last year, um, and I was able to utilize yourself, uh, your credentials, and that picture, and the public I mean, we had, that was our biggest turnout uh, for that place. Literally it was, it was standing room only people were up against the wall. And uh, we, I mean, we just, it was, it was just a great time and it was wonderful to include that in our slide presentation. And uh, it was, it was really, it was really remarkable. And it really, it, you know, it's funny on how the conversations um, end up afterwards after you show things yeah. like that. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, well, wonderful. did people gasp when they saw it? Because I find people kind of absolutely, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously, you're going to have mixed reactions. Um, yeah, and we in our screen, um, I have to. I think our screen is about twelve feet wide, twelve thirteen feet wide, oh, and it and it goes like up that. about yeah, and it goes about ten feet Show high. So when you, screen. yeah, yeah. So we do we do about a three hour presentation with our stuff and. The, the the reaction was was fantastic. It, it was a good addition. So, I like when I show that in a lecture. I say, you know, I cannot vouch for its veracity. I just know I have the picture, and I'll tell you the circumstances under which that image was captured. And I say, I want you to prepare yourselves. Persons find this disturbing. It's partly yeah. to increase the effect, but also I do want to, you know, caution people. You're going to see something very unusual. I think it's very, yeah. very menacing, and people that, still that, want that, that picture carries. With yeah. it. I, I I do fully believe that because when because I I'll never forget we we're doing that show and we we're talking about that damn picture, and yeah. you sent it to me that day, that email that day, and I looked at it and I had it in my inbox. I never deleted it because I had like all six or emails all boxed up and I put them in you know my important file. Yes, and then I had all those emails, and I was missing two of them because he sent me two pictures of that that picture, right? And, and then we started the show, and it disappeared. And then we started talking oh, about that. Yeah. We started talking about this picture, 
And I kid you not, in the corner over here, I had stuff falling over during the show. And Austin mm. was panicking because, like, we're talking about demons. And stuff was moving in the corner because I just – because he reset it to me during the show. And I showed him. And stuff was moving in the corner of the of the, my little studio here. And I honestly, I felt like I, I honestly felt like I was being washed at night sleeping. It was really weird. Like I, I felt like there's something in the house that night I was sleeping. I could not sleep yeah. at all. Well, I really believe there's something. With, I really believe there is something with that picture. And because like, Austin wanted to show it to his mom, and I, I told Carl after the show what was going on, and you know with a text message, and I could yeah. still pull it up. And then Carl, I still, I will never forget. You know, after I told Carlos, he goes, "Just please advise Austin to just just to show it to her. Do not look at this picture for very long, and then delete it." So yeah, yes, I remember saying that. That's the best approach if you're at all uncertain about it. Oh, I, I deleted it every everything I could, and I made sure Austin deleted it, and he actually did not. He actually found it in his photo library, <laughs> like because we're talking about this show, and he was like scrolling through his phone because he remembered the picture. He goes, "Oh shit, I still got that." You know? Yeah. Yeah. I have two pictures of demonic faces. That one, that's the red demon, because it's basically a red tone. The other one I call it the green demon, because it's basically a whitish green. In a way, the green demon face is a little more insidious, if you will, and disturbing than the red demon. The red demon is displayed right there. That's this reptilian malevolent face yeah. with a very extended jaw and a tongue lolling out, and dentition, you see teeth, uh, replicating a human form. Um, the other one, <laughs> it's a very dark image, but if you lighten it and enhance it, if you're able to do that, then it comes out, and it's a skull-like face. It was actually taken of a woman who was under a fit of possession. Uh, we assume demonic possession, and we took a picture of her face when she was thus affected and strangely it came out like a skull like a black triangular nose and just black lips and white greenish white face that's kind of like when you're lightening it and trying to get a clear image then you see oh my god look at look at that that's disturbing in its own way you kind of get that yeah. sense of inhuman yeah i'll try to send that to you i, I have to look for it i haven't even thought of it in about it yeah. well in carl's you know, and, and Louis, uh, Carl and I kind of have a tall, it's a, it's a tall order. It's a, it's a difficult job to do. And that is, is when we come in and meet with these people, yes. you know, the, the, the level of anxiety that they have, and you, we really have to put ourselves in their place and to get them to, to get them to calm down, relax. I mean, it, it's a tall order and it can be, you know, if you're dealing with something, something beyond our comprehension where we, we have to learn because every, every day is school day. And when you get in there, you know, it's, it's a difficult position to be in having to, you know, to, to provide that comfort level. So, yeah. Yeah. And you want to, you so want to, you want to be realistic with the client. You want to give them yeah. a, you know, a very grounded assessment. You don't want to placate them, but you so want to give them something. So you like know, I remember I was a kid. I don't want to get off topic here, but I just want to ask about it because I sure. remember when I was younger, and they had that uh, the claims of um, the demon house they called it, and uh, uh, what the hell was that? 
in Indiana, Gary, Indiana. Say it was it? Oh, Gary, Indiana. Yeah. Yeah. So they had before, obviously before it even got, you know, publicized by, you know, Zach Baggins. Um, mm-hmm. But they had like public records going through CNN. You know, the news cycle was actually commenting on like this kid walked up the walls, you know, the, you know, this whole family's plagued, you know, as in like whoever leaves this house ends up dying soon after. And that's like, yes. And then obviously with the, I can't remember when exactly it was actually we were in, I went to the wet show, which is a wastewater and treatment, you know, for plumbing for work. And we went through Gary and my buddy, Terry, who went with me, me and my boss, Joe, and I was like, oh, I, I, I have a video for Gary, Indiana guys. You know, when we go to sleep, you know, one of these nights we're going to play. We're down there for a week, you know, and after, you know, certain amount of, you know, after a certain time, you know, you don't want to spend your whole time downtown Indianapolis. You want to, you know, you have to find some limelight. But, uh, yeah, we, I showed him the video, the movie, The Demon House with Zach Baggins. And it was like, I could not imagine what these people are going through. Like, just, have you seen that movie, Carl? No, I haven't. Should watch um, that. It's pretty. No, no of it. No of the Demon House in Gary, Indiana. I have been through Gary, Indiana, but to another destination. I, we didn't stop there, and now the house is burned down. Yep. But, uh, you know, this, I don't know if the site is haunted, the land itself. But I remember hearing about that, the murders there, all that. Yeah, Zach Bagans had that for a while, but then it just you know went, but. Uh, yeah. Yeah. If there's one thing that I, yeah, I was just gonna say if there's one thing that I've learned with with, with stories, the homes, the businesses, everything that's out yes. there. Um we need a lot more people like us. Um and yeah. and it's it's difficult because I mean I could I could take a case every single day and you know, it just it gets expensive, it gets it's time consuming and and it breaks my heart too because I can't help everybody. And, um, and it's, it's tough. I mean, there's a play, there is a, a site called paranormal societies where people can go on and they can find a local investigative group. Um, but I do get showered with a lot of people that say, well, I've, I've tried them and this is, and, and they are, and, and they've basically been laughed at or, you know, the, the behavior of the investigators were ridiculous. Um, so it, it, you know, like I say, you know, you need more, we need more people to, to help yeah. out for sure. So, but. yeah, there should be more people like us. We should too bad. We're not in closer proximity on a more regular basis. You know, we can convene at a paranormal conference, but you know, to actually yeah. get out in the field would be, would be grand. We could consult sure. and we should do that via cell phone or internet or, you know, uh, live chat, live streaming, but, and that's good. But it'd be nice to be physically out of case. I mean, maybe we can make that happen sometime yeah it would be nice to have an instruction manual for everybody you know yeah. <laughs> when they yeah. you know it's part of their house where they <laughs> they have an instruction yeah. manual that says if you if you have this happening <laughs> you know? well there is something akin to that there's my book shadow realms demonology handbook i mean i got a copy of it downstairs here but you know i've, I've sent it uh, you know in a panel picture that's that's just what it seems to be uh, De- uh, Shadow Realms Demonology Handbook. It's like if somebody's going to a, a setting and uh, there's some menace- menacing quality to it, you might say, hey, look, uh, we got a similar situation. Let's see how this guy Carl dealt with it. Because you know, I've got things I could have done better, things that worked, you know, certain strategies that were effective. 
and uh, plugging my own book, but you know, it's, sometimes it sells. Sometimes it sells. Sometimes it sells very well. Other times it just gets stagnant, but uh, comes in waves. But it's uh, it's a manual like that. It's a handbook. Uh, case histories, um, uh, list of names and titles and uh, terms. You know, I think it could be useful in, in many paranormal sure. investigative situations, especially if it's something like a, like a poltergeist or, or seems demonic. You know, this is how some people deal with it, you know, and it's got some case histories. It's a series of essays. Yeah. And uh, well, I, wanna, I think just about my favorite chapter in my book, I should say it is co-authored with uh, the, theologian Lana Jan Brock. And I was going to have Lana write the introduction. She's a good writer, talented. And I thought, uh, you know, well, it'd be a nice touch to have her write the introduction. She wrote it so good. She ended up writing about half the book, not quite half of it, but you know, she figured, you know, contributed well to that. It is precisely 300 pages. It's available through amazon.com and chapters. I like in that there's one beware those dolls. Some mm. people, a real phobia and some bad experiences with dolls, effigies. And sure. uh, Lana contributed part two, Beware Those Dolls, part two. There's Up Close and Personal with a Demon, you know, parts one and two in the chapter. And uh, early on chapters, uh, I wrote is, I was a teenage Satanist, you know, formative years. Because I was, uh, uh, it's a loaded term, it requires an explanation. But I was a Satan. That was the practice of mine. I was I practiced it. I don't know if I ever perfected it, but I was a Satanist for a time. And I, I called it Luciferian, you know, more of a positive aspect. I was never like hurling curses or chopping heads off goats. But, you know, the, the expression was uh, Luciferian, satanic, and uh, got a bad rap for that. But what do you expect? But has yeah. an interesting experience. So I've seen the darker side and the lighter side. Kind of the light within the dark. Sure, sure. There's actually a movie I've seen uh, pretty recently. It's based off uh, the band Mayhem, mm-hmm. uh, Norwegian black metal band Mayhem. So I'll be back in your guys' day, I guess. You guys are both a little older than me. Yeah, I heard. Um, but it kind of goes with you know, kind of their life story and like obviously like their jealousy of each other, but also, you know, they were notorious for burning down churches throughout Norway. It's a kind of negative expression, but yeah. Yeah, they uh, they obviously they they always want to top each other. You know, like who would do what? You know. So yeah, who would be the most the baddest guy in the block? Yeah, who'd so like you one guy uh, able to please the Dark Lord. Well, like it all started like because I had like a it was a real thing. It was like the the black the Norwegian black metal circle, and it was like um, hmm. so it was I, I can't remember the guys' names like offhand. But one guy was named Death. He called himself Death. And, you know, just kind of, you yeah. know, th- those kind of names. And they were just like in a circle. And they're like, yeah, one day we got to get together and start burning churches. So that's what they did. It was a big, big thing back in the early, or it's just a late 80s, early 90s, where these mm-hmm. these guys, in these bands, history, no. um, they just go out and burn churches. And they actually, like, they like, like they'd always try to top each other. So, like, you know, we did this church in the middle of nowhere. Well, we, you did that. Well, we did this in the middle of this town. And then it just got to the point where, like, these guys, you know, obviously, like, their fame is getting, you know, more and more and more. So, like, you know, uh, you know, uh, well, I can't remember the other. The, so there's, like, four guys in this band. And also in the inner circle where um, there's a band out there called Abbott. 
and Abbott is, is his actual name, but he was also he was a part of uh, yeah, I can like it's, it's so funny. I can remember album names, but I can't remember the band name. But he's a part of that. Uh, he's part of that group. But he his his style of music. He never talked about you know like Satanism and like you know the devil. His is more about like embracing mm-hmm. you know embracing the paganism in Norway because you know, obviously like Norse gods you know more yeah. more than one god. Paganism is obviously like you know embracing. You know, like oh, Thor, yeah. Odin, you know, Sivy, uh, you know, Loki, you know, embracing the culture of like you know, all Some the of favorites, those names. Yeah. But like, yeah, see, he was never, you know, that chaotic. He's actually still playing now. He actually just had an album come out and it was fantastic during the heavy metal. Um, but yeah, like, they got to the point where not only did the bass player kill the lead singer, but it mm. got to the point where like, they're like, like documented, like like yeah, on a really voice record. Memories. I had heard about them and what happened with them. Yeah, look at this guy. This guy had it all down right here. Members: Necro Butcher, Hellhammer, Alieta, Kazar. Wow. Yeah, so rooted in Norse mythology. Yeah. Um, well, Satanists generally tend to be the lunatic fringe of occult expression. You know, uh, they fall into like the more evil you do. Evil is just counterproductive. Evil is anti-life. It is, historically speaking, it's much easier to destroy than to create and to undo rather than build. Um, you know, so it's not a, it, in that sense, it's not a rational expression. And it's usually temporary. There are a few career Satanists. I talk about it, yet I was one, but I was never throwing curses or sacrificing animals. It was just, I still have an affinity for black candles and black tablecloths, certain incenses. I think like to stay on this topic, I think like today, like modern day Satanism is more peaceful than it is looked at as like evil. So like you look at guys, like my favorite band is uh, Behemoth right now. I love the band Behemoth and Adam, Adam Nurgle Darsky is the lead singer and he's an open Satanist. And he, you know, he, he went through a battle of leukemia and he, he credits the, you know, his Satanism, the love and the love in his practice helped save his life. And he kind of touches on that. He goes, you know, I don't have this evil entity I call the devil. He's like, he's more of a colorful person. So yeah. Like, so like how he describes his ideals with this entity or, you know, whatever his idea of a God is, I guess it's more like you look at it now, and it's, I guess it's more accepted, but like I can see, like back in the eighties, you know, like when you guys were kind of coming up, like you know, during yeah. like during like the satanic panic, like that that guy would be looked at like an absolute lunatic right now. But like in his songs, I'm, I'm like kind of a carry. I'm gonna segue what I'm talking about now into a question. So sure, they have sure. a song. So they have a song uh, called "Oh Father, Oh Satan, Oh Son," and they they do mention names of like evil people. So uh, Akafalos who is a, he's more like a headless warrior, you know, it's, he's like a headless warrior entity. And do you think like, if you were like listening to this music and then he's like, maybe like, it would it be like a mindset or like with like a sort of like passion? You think like, is it, would it be possible to get like, get, to get like, uh, I can't remember the word, or get, not possessed, but like, uh, 
oppressed or taken over or something. Yeah, like. you think like if you like embraced like that kind of music like to like a certain level, you think there's any any sort of like oppression that could come from that in your sure for through percussionistic effect. I mean, uh, we are affected by rhythms, and uh, you know, sound has resonance, and especially when it's a patterned resonance, it's bound to affect a you know listener, the biological receptor. And yeah, especially if you know it's satanic and it has kind of a sinister but repetitive strong beat. Yep. And if it tends to have certain um, certain algos, algorithms that uh, are uh, evident in my, say the music of Richard Wagner, you know, and his operas, you know, uh, then it would be, you know, the Regan Lundgren, the uh, um, Das Drama, you hear these, you know, the heroic themes like bom, 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 bom. you just swell up inside if you're responsive at all to that type of operatic music. And yeah, but as far as, you know, more like uh, hard rock, heavy metal, you know, and its derivatives. Yeah, it can get to you. I, uh, in fact, that was a big uh, component of my practice when I was a Satanist and the music. Who were you listening to? Need to do. Well, uh, Black Mass Lucifer by, uh, I don't know if his name will come to me, but um, yeah, he was, uh, but you know, somebody that was innovative with electronic music, like the Moog, a Moog synthesizer. I'll think of his name after, you know, we sign off and all, because I usually know it, art somebody, but uh, yeah, King Crimson, some of these old toe tappers, you know, some of these, uh, and there's just uh, there wasn't as much of it out there then. Mort Garson. My, yeah, Mort Garson. You know, if we had just said good night, I would have said Mort Garson. What? Yeah. Mort, Mort Garrison, isn't it? Yeah. He's passed on now. He's quite G-R-S-O-N, Garson. Garson, yeah. And uh, he used to write some like real like melodic music too. But he he did a he released an album called Black Mass Lucifer. Uh, it was recorded in 1971, uh, available in 1972, and that was something I played in my original magic ceremonies and, and rituals. We were actually doing magic rites, and it was just, it was good. It was, I have happy memories of that and nostalgic, you know, that, uh, that all different themes and, uh, yeah, some of those things. And, and even, um, I'm talking about music of the times, the early 70s. My first satanic music theme that inspired me when I was first deciding I'm going to get into this. I mean, I had a Christian upbringing, so that was kind of a radical change for me. And I had become more materialistic and rational humanism um, and rather atheistic, but I wasn't too comfortable with that either. Uh, I wanted some color to it. And I found that through the expression that we call Satanism. At first, Levian Satanism, and you know, founded by Anton Zando LeBay in the Satanic Bible. Uh, but my first Satanic theme was from the Fragile album. Yes, you know the band. Yes, their album Fragile, their debut album, and it was Roundabout. And that was a song of emancipation to me. Satanism was my rebellion, my protest. And my expression, but uh, it wasn't all fun and games. There was a philosophy behind it. I started out with a platform of Levee and Satanism and built upon it from there. And there is a a very um, a very organized cult 
that uh, is established in Salem, Massachusetts, Old Salem, and that is the uh, Satanic Temple. And they're very proactive, progressive, very politically oriented, you know, under Lucian, their founder, and uh, they're rational Satanists. Um, I'm not involved with them or corresponding with them. I don't, I can agree with their ideology, but they tend to, you know, one of their big pushes is to put up a satanic motif wherever there's a church or, you know, uh, or not just a church, but like if there's a statue of Moses with the 10 commandments, some religious iconography, they tend to, to put up, uh, a, a image of Baphomet, the goat, you know, yep. the goat king. Yeah, does that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah they yeah. tend to put up a Baphomet, the Mendes goat, uh, you know, the Elephus Levi, uh, cross-legged, you know, Baphomet. And, uh, that's like, you know, where, when the franchise Burger King was new, the Burger Kings were always spring up across the street from a McDonald's instead of, you know, some other location, uh, Always across the street by McDonald's. Well, that's what they're doing. Uh, I, I'm not interested in that. You know, I see they have their right to. Uh, I understand why they're, they're going to be offensive to people. But it's it's a small crusade, but a sincere one. Uh, but I'm, I'm kind of drawn to that type of magic and magical expression. It was what I was fostered on. Uh, I was a happy Satanist, a Luciferian. But, you know, I, I played that for a while and I... I didn't have any grand revelation. I'd like to be able to say, well, I was on the dark side and I was a practicing Satanist. Suddenly I was emancipated from that darkness. Now I battled the demons. It really wasn't like that. I just did it for a while. and Okay. That's enough of that flavor and enough of it. You know, it's a good memory. Um, But I still have an affinity, like I said, for black candles and black tablecloths and, you know, I kind of like it uh, looking back on that. It was a happy time, but you know, it didn't accomplish too much, but it didn't do any real damage either, except to my reputation at the time. So around the time I became acquainted, actually at the time I became acquainted with Ed and Lorraine Warren. And they were very interested in me because of my, you know, satanic practices. Yet here I was, this, you know, fairly well-groomed, well-dressed, polite young man. Yeah, you used to have a mane. You used to have long hair. You, you, yeah. You, you looked like a metalhead back then. I, you have to take my word for it or do some research, but I used to be good-looking. Really good. I, well, I can say it now because it's me. What are you doing here? You are still good-looking. We just said, you know, thank you. you in any I was movie. hoping you'd, you know, follow through with that. But uh, I was so doggone handsome when I was young, as was my twin brother. And I, I, that's why I was so popular when I was, uh, you know, practicing Satanism. Here's this nice looking kind of kind of boyish, but a little sinister looking guy with long reddish blonde hair, shoulder length, sideburns. And I just, you know, contoured cheeks and all that. I got to see what I just what I look like apart from pictures, because the first time I visited the house in Roundtop, uh, Roundtop Farm, now known as the Conjuring House, that wasn't my first time there by any means. I was first there in August and September of 1973, and had been there several times after. But uh, when it was under the ownership of Jen and Corey Heinzen, and they had the day they had the closing on the house, they invited Carl over. 
Okay. And I brought Elise, who I was newly acquainted with. Elise and I visited. And I was walking through the house. Boy, the familiar surroundings. Because uh, the successive owners after the Perrins family, uh, you know, there were the Schwartzes, the Schwartz family. And uh, after that, Norma Sutcliffe and her, her mate, Jerry, were, were there, had ownership of the house. And all these people kept it pretty much the same as it had been. And when I walked into the parlor and Jen and Corey Hines, this was uh, June of 2019. I looked, and there's this rectangular, rather large mirror on the wall. I said, I think that mirror was there when the parents had this house. When we did our first investigation there in 1973. And everybody's kept it. And there it is. So I had to go over and look in the mirror. True story. And I'm not somebody like a visions or impressions person very much. I looked into that mirror and saw myself as I looked when I was 18 years of age. And I looked and right away I started to say, uh, Corey, Elise. Now I didn't keep it up because I figured I'm sure when they come in here, it's going to be gone. What I'm going to do is I'm going to memorize this. I stood there for about three minutes looking at myself. I'm 18 years old in my reflection. I mean, my reflection was moving with me. I had my current modern, uh, red polo shirt on, but I had the shoulder length hair. I look better. That's sideburns. And my eyebrows were fuller. I'm looking at myself when I'm 18 and it's like, I don't know what's doing this. This is some quantum flux. The house has memories. Carolyn Perrin experienced similar things there. I look, it's not a trick of the light. No, nothing explains this. I'm just going to look and know I really saw it. So after a while, it's been three or four minutes. Okay, I've got it. They're wondering where I am. Imagine my disappointment when I when I went into the bathroom and they have a full-length mirror there and I saw myself as I really look now. It's like, okay, things have changed. But that was just remarkable. I know it really happened. It was no illusion because I tried to replicate it. Uh, Mike Ricksecker, you know, well-known traveler and uh, produces documentaries. Uh, has his own show. Uh, Mike tried it when he was there, and he, he tried looking in that mirror, and his features distorted and became black, but he didn't. They didn't turn. You know, became dark, but they didn't turn him younger. Well, he hadn't been in that house before. That was his first time there. They were. It was doing something to him. I've never been able to replicate that. My face doesn't change no matter what the lighting conditions. But to see myself there, you know, it was actually happening. Carolyn Perrin walked into that room, which is now a parlor room, used to be the kitchen, and she saw two men seated, seated at a table, and they were dressed in vintage clothing, like maybe the, uh, the 18th century, and they had pewter tankards and boots, and they looked at Mrs. Perrin, young Mrs. Perrin, with astonishment. The ghosts saw her, they were probably thinking, who is this slender, you know, scarcely clad wench here? To them, for a moment, I think, Carolyn Perrin was the ghost. To Carolyn, by her perspective, those two men were the ghost, and then they faded. It was a time flux. And uh, however that happens. And that's what I had there. Interesting that I my it was moving with me. I was kind of like a ghost in the mirror. You know, it was just wonderful and beautiful. And I wish somebody was there to corroborate it, but that's what happened. Hasn't happened since. That's my mirror story. And it's a beauty. Yeah, it is uh that's kind of that's like you guys are a little bit older than me 
Yeah. So like, I guess that'd be like really neat to kind of see. Cause I don't like, I don't remember myself without a beard. I've had a beard like ever since I graduated high school. Right. That's been about <laughs> 12, 12 years ago now. So it's. I think I had a beard when your parents were getting into high school, you know, probably. Yeah. Uh, well, I've had the, the goatees uh, most of the time since in my uh, mid twenties, you know, I, I just keep going it back now. Now I, it used to make me make me look older and more experienced, you know, more more credible. Now it makes me look younger, but uh, yeah, I've had that for a while. You look good with a beard. I can't imagine you without it. I couldn't either. That's been I can't that imagine Jason with one, but I, I suppose it could happen. But you know, yeah. And I always like, ask people like like you know it's like. Like you get like these older like you know older homeowners like you go like look at something and be like you know because they're like you know it's a lot of them like young you know some are like young and spry you know yeah. you look up and down hills yeah, and, yeah. Yeah. and just like they're like yeah he goes yeah I move around pretty good for my age and I'm like how old are you like you know mid sixties he goes no I'm seventy five I was like shut shut your mouth I'm like how old do you think I am he goes thirty five like yeah fuck you asshole like I'm thirty <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, I hope I have some kind of renewal or renaissance and I get spry. I was spry up until a couple of years ago. Very spry. I mean, I can still hike with the best of them. I can still do that. But I just had more. You know, I have to have you come on and do some septic systems with me. <laughs> That'll straighten out my neck. Yeah. My neck ailment with the stenosis, the sensation is like unto as though I'd been you know, sentenced to death by hanging. And they string me up, the platform releases, and I go down. And suddenly, court official comes in with a paper, you know, like, reprieve, reprieve, cut him down. And they really, they cut me down. But some damage has been done. Uh, that's what it feels like. You know, it's, it's like that. Like, I, I feel like I was hanged. You know, and they, they let me go, but now I, now I have to live with this. And I've had this since August of last year but became perpetual in September. You know, and I go to, I've been to various chiropractors and uh, neurologists and uh, therapists, and they say, it's not the end of the world. We're going to make you better. You know? Yeah. Some days it seems so. Some days not. I don't know. You know? That's the issue of neck and back though. It's always, it's always a yeah. lingering thing. I mean, everybody's different. I don't mind it lingering. I just want it to be, you know, like, sporadic and it is somewhat like i take over the counter pain relief and that's all i can do i want something more you know, uh, a neurological application i want something that's going to be applied to it not just build up the muscle wall and treat the symptoms you know i did i know we're off-roading here as we we have to on these shows but uh, i received <laughs> an, an injection of lidocaine you know, which they applied topically over for a tooth, you know, uh, dental work. And I received just in the key point. Now, uh, a friend of mine, uh, King, uh, King L. Mike, he goes by you know, as a disc jockey and show host. Um, he said he got that injection. He said it fixed me. All his symptoms with what he was talking. I said, you're, you're, you're giving my biography here my medical biography, because that's just what I felt. He said, oh, you got that injection. It fixed him. It fixed him. Okay. I just wanted like alleviation or something. So I got the injection. This is, um, 
not quite three months ago, about two and a half months ago, I got the injection of lidocaine and right away, the right half of my scalp went numb. I said, well, I certainly hope this is temporary, but it's active. It's, it's doing something. I am aware of it. And I was told by my Mike and the neurologist, you know, to give it a few days. Don't expect right away. Well, uh, I got to say, it's like I never had it. I never felt any improvement from it. I mean, if it did help, I didn't notice. It, it's supposed to relax the tightened muscles that support the neck, you know, the react to the misplacement. But uh, I never noticed. I'll, I'll go back again, see what happens. But uh, You ever try CBD or anything like that? No, I, I don't have enough faith in it to think something so mild as that could work. Uh, so I, like, I, 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 I used to go through, I like changing boots too, like work boots, but like I used to have like foot problems all the time. And that, you know, like CBD really helped my, I, I, tried, I, I feel like CBD helped my foot issues. I tried C, CBD and gummies, but didn't do anything. I just finished them. You know, I, I never felt any effects. Didn't change my mood or anything. Didn't help the uh, discomfort. Um, so I'm still experimenting with that. And maybe somebody listening will come up with it, something that worked for them. See, right now I can feel it when I move a little bit and I've taken my pain relief. Even like I took some while we were talking, you know, but that's all, all over the counter stuff. So I'll go back for another injection, you know, but, uh, it really inhibits my productivity. You know, this isn't just an inconvenience. Yeah. So we'll see, we'll see where it goes. I'm still not used to it. I don't think I can get used to it, accustomed to it. But uh, going back to Round Top Farm, um, yes, I'll go back. It recently changed owners. Yep. Um, have you met the new owner? And yes, I have. I met the the new owner just on Friday night and Saturday last. Um, Jacqueline Nunez, she's a, a developer, real estate developer, uh, or practices in Boston, Massachusetts and very intelligent, accomplished woman, owns a, a vineyard in, I don't know, I think it's Costa Rica, or might be uh, some place in uh, close to Brazil and South America, but she owns a vineyard. She's quite an astute, accomplished lady, uh, but very easy to, to speak with. Yeah, she's, she's going to be a good steward of the house. She is already. She can't live there by contract. She can't reside in the house, but she can be there when she wants. Um, so I have met her. I miss... Is that like a historical thing where they, she can't live in the house for the historical value? She can't live because in the house? Of the, uh, the purpose of it and why it was bought, why it was acquired um, for it's a, like a business. So it stipulated that she cannot live there. And she can't be known as a resident. She can seize the owner, but she can't be a resident there. I mean, I'm sure she could stay the night, but uh, she can't long-term reside there. That's part of the contract. But that's okay. She has her enough you know, residences or so yeah, she does. She does. All right. She, she yeah, can find sure. a better wherever she wants to think. Huh? Yeah. Well, the conjuring house comes with, it's an expensive place to run, uh, to heat it very roughly is it's like taxes. You know, it's $10,000 a year to heat the house and they do need to heat it because it can get really brutally cold in there. You don't want to get out of a room. You don't want to keep the blanket on you. Um, but it stays busy. It's always occupied. There's always people in there. Usually people investigating. Uh, interesting place, of course. But yes, I've met Jacqueline. Very pleased to meet her. Had a couple of nice conversations with her. I miss Jen and Corey, but I always knew it was temporal with them because it was an investment to Jen and Corey. 
and they made out very well with it and uh, it stays busy. How long this scheme of uh, the conjuring house renown, you know, people going to the house because they've seen the movie and they've heard that it's haunted. Uh, I don't know how long that can endure. I think it's got a good decade in it, at least because they made the three movies conjuring one, two, and three, the conjuring respectively. Yeah. The trilogy. And the first one was about that original investigation. I can honestly say with no hint of hubris that all this, this, you know, hubbub about the conjuring house, the movie, the conjuring, you know, you know, the haunting in Enville, the conjuring, the haunting in Enville and Enfield and the devil made me do it. The conjuring, the devil made me do it. One, one, two, and three Annabelle movie. Uh, persons that lived in that house, lecturing about the house, the tours that are continual there. Uh, people driving by and slowing down and trying to sneak onto the property. The multi-million dollar, the billion-dollar franchise of the movies. None of this wasn't wouldn't it would have happened. None of that would have occurred if it weren't for the person that's your guest tonight. Not yeah, no, it's crazy. In this case, none of it would have happened if it weren't for me. I was the keg. I was that one integral keg in the wheel that uh, made this happen. You created uh, history. Uh, oh, very much so. And just yeah, on that, I've done several things. I've made many millionaires. Um, but uh, I didn't plan it. It was a, a domino effect. It wasn't like in 1973. I said, boy, there's going to be a movie someday. No, it was just, it was a, another haunted house we were visiting. Had activity. It has activity now. Some of the same stuff that was going on 50 years ago is happening there now. Do you still you still try to actively investigate that place? Like as an investigator, like you still sometimes like rarely, because it's not like when uh, the Heinz and Jen and Corey Heinz and owns it, where I had carte blanche. Probably should have gone there more, but I as they said, just make sure we're here so we can unlock the door for you. Or Bill Brock, their friend and a filmmaker, he's he's an overseer of the house now. Uh, make sure somebody's here, and uh, you can come over anytime. Don't have to call first. Now that's changed now since the house has changed. All things must pass. Now I would have to be invited. Like sometimes I'm invited to by a paranormal group. They want me to tell my experience there. Um, or I would have to pay the fee and be part of a group or give a tour of the house, you know, be, you know, be giving the presentation, organizing that. But I can't just, you know, bop in anytime now. And I understand that. But, um, yeah, I'll probably investigate it again. I don't think I'll, I'll never be there again. It's possible, but I think most likely I'll be there. I do want to give, like, organize a paranormal investigation with the lease. And yeah, we'll, we'll get that going, get some people in there. Well, we'd volunteer. Me and, me and Jason have volunteered to go there. I think it's probably a bucket list place for us, right? Oh, yeah, please do. Come there and support me, encourage me whenever we can arrange that. I'd probably run. Oh man, I, I uh, recently went to Waverly Hills Sanitarium in Louisville, Kentucky. Yes, I have not been there yet. And it's that's it's always been like one of those bucket list places for me because that's yeah. like yeah, bucket list. So like me as a kid, the first time I ever seen like hardcore paranormal evidence was the thermal camera with Jason and Grant on Ghost Hunters on the third floor. Yeah. So like I like going there, like seeing the building, and it's like you know, like you're there, you're in, you know, like. 
the TV show makes the place feel so small, but the place is massive. It's yeah, it's just it's so it, it, to me, it's such a beautiful place. It's humongous. It's abandoned. It's you know, it's you know, I guess like when you think like a beautiful and abandoned, it doesn't really like mix, but this it's so preserved and it's you know, it's the way. I guess the way it should be, I guess, you know, because you hear like the rumors like how haunted it is. Like, I guess yeah. you're not intruding. I guess like when I say beautiful, like, you're not intruding on these people's homes. Like the people who passed away there, that, that was their home for their whole stint basically with that tuberculosis. Right. Like, you're, like, you know, these, you know, some people go there as kids and they, you know, go there with tuberculosis as children and they go through this whole phase in their life with this illness. And then they just pass away inside this building. So that was their home and that was their life. And that, I guess that, that's that carry through me, I guess, going through there. Like that was part of the beauty of the Waverly Hills. Like you got to kind of feel like the, yes, you have to, you have to feel like the inner story. And again, the guides are amazing. Like they'd show us like, cause they don't, they don't post all their evidence they get online because they don't want people to tamper with it. But like, if you go there, like, you know, get a guided tour, they show you what they've caught. Like, you know, like when they do, like they have like public investigations, they have like the public walkthroughs, and they have like you know, obviously like the private stuff, which you know, like you know, the big film crews can go in there and do their thing, but you know, just the photos and all that stuff that they've got there, and like the firsthand stories, like just people walking through, like yeah, they you know, the, the weird thing is like they have you know, the you know, there's a notorious entity there named Timmy, and like you know, he likes to play with he likes to play with like little plastic balls. I gotta be careful, I word that. He likes to play with little plastic balls. Plastic balls. And because you say I play with balls, you know, he likes to play with balls that comes out, you know. <laughs> he likes you to play don't catch yourself balls. saying that. I, I have friends watching the show, and, they're, you know, I know how they I know how they think. But, um, but, like, there's, like, stories, like, you know, like, uh, you know, like people, like, take the ball, throw it down the hallway. And then, like, five minutes later, and they're coming back down the hallway, the ball is rolling back to them. Big children like presence there, yeah. Shadow forms, children, weeping. I haven't been there yet, but I, I hear about it. Uh, they, uh, they, there's claims of a doppelganger. Really? Yeah. So, like, you see this doppelganger supposed to die that night. Uh, yeah, that's an old legend about the doppelganger. That yeah, you but you double. That's your last day on Earth. Last. That's your last day above Earth. You see your doppelganger. Yeah, so that was such a beautiful place, man. It's like I really want to go back. I really want to actually investigate it because we just went there just a guided tour, just to just mm-hmm. to do it, and it just it's a two-hour tour we did to not give that building justice because I th- I feel like I could have spent at least a week there. Just wow, like, taking it in. So you're you're not disappointed. I don't think anybody would go there and not have some kind of experience. See, I didn't. I never had an experience there. You didn't. No, I. But you. I. I, mean, I, I kind of felt like I felt something, you know, like. Yeah. But like, I never oh, had a first-hand experience. Yeah, that you didn't. I mean, there's no place that's guaranteed to give you any. Experience. I never expected it, you know, because it's it's, yeah. it's very to me that building is very intimate and very, you know, like I said, it's somebody's home. People live there, you know, that you know the nurses that contracted tuberculosis there and all that stuff. It's a very it's very sad. Yeah, that the nurses. I mean, how rampant was tuberculosis? That was responsible. They claim ten thousand people died in that building. Oh, oh, that's around ten thousand somewhere in there. I thought. And interesting, nobody 
I doubt there was ever a case in the, in the 18th and 19th centuries. No one recovered from tuberculosis. Some people seemed to have it milder and their lifespan would be prolonged, but eventually it got them. I don't think anybody could contract. I may be incorrect, but I don't think anybody could contract tuberculosis, consumption, the wasting sickness. I call it the vampire germ. I don't think anybody could get that and come out of it. White plague. Yeah, one uh, one famous sufferer uh, was the gambler and gunslinger Doc Holliday, John Doc Holliday. Yep. Yeah, he retired from dentistry because he couldn't keep patience with his hacking and coughing. And you look at pictures of Doc Holliday when he de- graduated dental school, his full head of hair. What a handsome young man. Then there's a very dignified picture of him, like, you know, it's a hand, even by our modern standards, a good looking man. Then you see later pictures of him. He's shriveled up. Yep. You know, he's obviously on the way out. And he died in a sanatorium in Colorado uh, at the age of 36. And that had been with him since he was perhaps 20 years old, 21 years old. There's actually you know, a video he, game out there right now called Red Dead Redemption 2. Really? And, your, and your character, Arthur Morgan, you get to play with him when he contracts tuberculosis, then right up to the end. Oh my. So it's actually pretty neat. They all kind of like how they shine a light on that disease just kind of in that game. Like, you know, like, like even like when you're playing them, like it's like an open world game, I guess you can call it. Like you, like you get like a subtle cough here and there. And then like, yeah, right. It's kind of neat. Just uh, kind of opens up that world of tuberculosis again. I, and I actually came before COVID too. So we got to like meet tuberculosis as like young adults in this video game before we got COVID. So it's kind of, kind of funny that way. But yeah, well, you know, of course COVID is not, typically a death sentence, but people have succumbed to it. Many, you know, a million people passed from COVID. So, you know. Um, so I'm going to ask around the room here right now, because I, I kind of got one of my bucket list things done. I didn't get to investigate it, but I seen it and I was in there. I was in Waverly Hills. What, yeah. What's on your guys' bucket list? And I'll start with Jason first. He's been quiet for a while. Yeah, I got to say the Stanley, the Stanley Hotel for sure. Yeah. Well, me, it would be toss up between uh, St. Albans, Waverly Hills, you know, and uh, the Stanley Hotel. You know. and which one was the inspiration for the Overlook Hotel in, in The Shining? Was that the Stanley? That's Stanley Hotel. Yeah. 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 I'd like to be there. One of those places, you know. I've been to the Lizzie Borden house a number of times, about four times. And... Um, been to Maplecroft House, which was Lizzie Borden, Elizabeth Borden's second residence for the second half of her life. You know, so I've been to some remarkable places, but uh, and I'll probably think of more that I would like to go to some of the more established ones. I really want to go to Bobby Mackey's too. It's another place I like. I just I don't want to go there yeah. for like a tour. I didn't want to go there for lunch and say like, I got a burger at Bobby Mackey's, but I didn't make that stop. Well, yeah, it's not on my bucket list. Except if I had a, cho- a chance to, I'd probably take it. You know, it's just the planning for it and all that. Yeah. It's yeah, the St. Augustine. The St. Augustine. Augustine really cool. Yep. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that one, yeah. yeah, that one I was there and uh, that was the the only thing that I did not like about it was the the tour uh, was held by a very young individual and oh. he he sensationalized all aspects of it and people were actually starting to look at each other 
like they were kind of getting a little sick of listening to him. Um, so <laughs> you can but, sense that with your fellow audience members, you know. Yeah. But it's just, it, it was it was fun. It was exciting. Good it was time. exciting to be there. Yeah. Mm. I uh, got I went to Perryville again too. I went, I went to Perryville when I was a kid, but we went there on my vacation. It's just like another place too where I like it's really sad and it's the bloodiest battle in Kentucky you know, during the Civil War. Oh. And that was I don't know, it was really cool. I actually took a rock from there, so don't tell him. You know, I just kind of told him myself, don't tell him. I took a rock off the battleground, but because like the way they described it, like that whole field was soaked in blood, like that whole. Wow. Just, but like, I couldn't imagine, man. That's because I still have all the bodies of Confederate soldiers buried on the on the field, like on you know where the battle took place. They're all they had a mass grave. So, I mean, just all the emo, you know, just the emotional energy that I came out. Yep, of that, it lingers. That. Yeah, it's yeah, part of the land. Oh yeah, that's well because it's like they said too, like on the grounds too, like you know, it's limestone and all that stuff. So if if, if, the, if the theory of limestone is true, you know, as in like it holds energy, I mean, that would be a perfect place for it to kind of. It's like Gettysburg, you know, it's just one of those places where creates a natural battery. Yep. Through principles we don't fully understand, and it can project a spirit, and sometimes that spirit will notice its living observers and react accordingly. You know, it's called a lempke when a, a spirit uh, replicates a living person. You think it's a solid person, then they leave something behind, like a, a paper wrapped magazine for a rifle that would have been looked new, but was produced during the Civil War era. Or like a lead, or like the lead bullet, you know, like the yeah, the red, the lead pelt that could still be in the ground and all that stuff. Well, I mean, it's a battery there; it's memory. Yeah. And there's, you know, blood was thought to be the life force because when you lose too much blood, you lose the lose the life force. There's an old lore about how the uh, how demons were created. At least some echelon of, of demons was that the the nephilim, which were the the giants of the book of Enoch and you know, they're uh, hinted at in the book of the biblical book of Genesis. And there enough evidence has been found to support that there was a race of giants in ancient times upon the earth. When I say giants, I don't mean six foot six. I mean, like, we're talking about eight foot, eight and a half feet specimens, sometimes nine feet tall. And, uh, they think, uh, Goliath may have been uh, in the Bible. He was a Nephilim because he had a double row of teeth and extra digits on his hand. So sign of the Nephilim. Nephilim means the plural, the fallen ones. And they say when they were slain by men, you know, they, they were eventually exterminated because they were a menace, that their blood seeped into the earth, soil, and the vapors from that blood arose and begat demons a race of demons i kind of like that myth it's interesting so your theory does that predate like the gynopithecus did that predate that i i love no, it would be after because uh there were there was a hominid a species we could and different offshoots of it homo erectus was living on the earth who was our immediate ancestor uh, Homo erectus was extant on the earth at the time Gigant Gigantopithecus was, these giant apes. 
Yeah, so they're not ancient, ancient. Well, in a sense, they are. They predate modern humans. Um, where the Nephilim came from, I don't know. I think they were real. Uh, the origins can be debated, but there were, and that's murky and nebulous, but there were giants on the earth. Like it says in Genesis, there were giants on the earth in those days. Um, yeah, Gigantopithecus, they eventually died out because their food source, the bamboo, became scarce because of changes in climate. Uh, but yeah, there were these giant apes. Giant, I mean, gorillas are pretty rugged specimens. Uh, the biggest gorilla ever documented in modern times, it was actually measured, was six feet tall, but that's unusual for a gorilla. A male adult gorilla usually is five foot two, five foot five, and very bulky and very powerfully built. Uh, one, one specimen reached six feet tall, but then again, they don't usually stand up straight. Um, but to think of these Gigantopithecus, which might, you know, have, you know, engendered Bigfoot, as we call it now, Sasquatch. These were, uh, these say, how tall did they get? Nine feet tall was common for them. Yeah, I believe so. Somebody they reached that. 12 feet tall. That's one big, that's a great, great ape. You know, that's, uh, to think of these things, and these were real. They haven't found a complete skeleton, but they found molars and parts of, of a jawbone, so they can gauge what this thing was. I thought they recently found the skull of a giant epithecus. Like, uh, like I'd, have to years. I'd have to see what Jeff Meldrum, Doctor Jeff Meldrum, has written about. See, I thought that was. Uh, I thought. See, I thought. I remember. Like, I used to work nights. I used to listen to Joe Rogan all yeah. the time. I'm pretty sure, like, they found a skull right. of one. Oh, that'd be wonderful. I'll have to look that up. Maybe I believe. Me. I believe him and Graham Hancock were talking about it on one of his shows because they're talking about like you know like the. How like history, you know, like Graham Hancock's yeah. big into like how history hasn't been documented correctly. Like now, like uh, I can't pronounce it, but that white Tepla Tepe, that uh, towers in there, like he claims predate yeah. the. I think it the, is said Tepe. Yeah, predate like the what would it be like the, predates like the pyramids, but like how history is wrote, like the pyramids came before that. But he thinks there's signs of like that outdating the temples there are like signs that. of civilization that go back uh, 10 millennia uh established cities i don't think it was like uh, lemuria you know or atlantis but there were established citadels back then uh yeah and i think if you had a time machine it could slip back twelve thousand years ago and travel the planet i think you'd get some real surprises like this this defies the history books yeah, here. I think maybe that's common. Maybe maybe Musk will come up with something like that next after we go to Mars. Yeah, <laughs> but I hope we get to Mars. Mars is interesting. You know, oh, see how fun the paranormal is. You can jump topics and nobody cares as long <laughs> as you make it interesting. Yeah, you don't even need to segue or jump into Mars. There was running water on Mars. You go back a mere two and a half billion years. Our planet being an estimated four point, what do they got it up now? It was 4.3 billion years. Now it's 4.7 billion years. How old are our physical planet is the conglomerate of rocks that became earth. Now that's, that's about, let's just round it up four and a half billion years, probably a little younger. Uh, Mars two and a half billion years ago, long time had copious running water. You can see evidence of it. It's visible. You know, like rivulets that have dried up. Now, 
Mars had too thin an atmosphere. Eventually, that atmosphere just spilled out into the, you know, the sun's gravity captured it, went out into space, dissipated. Mars has a very thin, almost non-existent atmosphere, but it does have an atmosphere. There is snow on Mars. There is lightning on Mars. Whether there's rain, I don't know. There are polar caps on Mars, and there's evidence of running water. Now, that's one of the necessities for life as we know it. And there's that interesting meteorite that was found in Alaska that was identified as a Martian rock. It has a fossilized what looks like a microbial life. Now, uh, it, it has component segments to it. It looks like a little germ. Oh, that's not proven that that's life in you know, a fossilized life. It just kind of looks like it. A paramecium kind of thing. Um, but you look at it and you say, oh, my God, that looks like what I saw in my biology book. Yeah. You know, it does look like that. Now, there were the components to let life, you know, to beget life there. However, that happens through, you know, complex chemical, you know, combination, you know, resulting in chain reaction. But uh, there was rivers. There were rivers on Mars, maybe in salt ocean. But mighty rivers ran on Mars. Mars would have been a blue and ruddy planet, you know, with you know, big patches of blue on it, two and a half, maybe just two billion years ago. It was gauged for life. I see Mars as our planet Earth. Of course, we know Earth is going to go on forever and there'll be the New World Order and God will save us from being swallowed up by the sun. However, I think the destiny of planet Earth for some time until the sun does swallow it will be Mars. Eventually, our atmosphere will thin. The orbit of the uh, Earth around the sun will shift enough. The axis will change and become very unstable. And eventually, what's really going to do it is the solar radiation will be too intense to sustain life, except microbial. And after a while, that will go. And we will become Mars. Venus is Earth three billion years ago. Mars is Earth a billion years, maybe not that long, maybe hundreds of millions of years. I'm thinking more like hundreds of millions of years. Uh, they, I've heard it calculated that within 100 million years, I mean, that's a long time, but I mean, there were uh, amphibians on this planet 100 million years ago. Yep. Um, there were the beginnings of dinosaurs. You, uh, you go ahead in the future 100 million years, the Earth is unsustainable for life. The atmosphere has changed too much. Solar, radi solar radiation has intensified. And all our photographs and all our graves and all our memories and all our structures are sand. You know, if there's some future civilization from another so system, they may find evidence of us. But basically, we're toast. We're dust know, in the wind. Yeah. I don't like that scenario. Well, it's, real, it's realistic. It's a realistic one. And it gets worse from there on in. Talk about a galactic structure. And then you talk about the ultimate face of the fate of the universe. It's ridiculous to be even think about it, but you know, it's because it's trillions of years in the future. But that's entropy rules. Now we don't know what the expanse of our universe is. We know how far light can travel, how far we can see. Go back 13 billion years ago, seeing light from 13 billion years ago of existence. 
And, um, oh, it's, it's, it's too disturbing to even talk about. Eventually, we become nothing. We become what the universe was before creation, for lack of a better term. Nothing, something came out of nothing. That something's going back to nothing. Because eventually, even the atomic structure will be lost. The cohesive factor that holds atoms together, which are particles bound together, will lose its momentum, will lose its glue, its cohesion. And then there's just ash, tiny particles of ash. And essentially, there's nothing. And when there's nothing, there's no more time because time is relevant to matter. You have to have a reference point. Once everything's gone, there's no past, present, present, or future. Now, I used to have a friend always say time is an illusion. Yeah, it, it, it is illusory. I mean, it does a number on us, but, you know, it's... Yeah, we lose, we, we lose time every day, but time is, just, uh, time is just a number. Time is just an illusion, you know, it's just... And I think here we are, this remarkable species, where we, we, we screw up the planet and each other in the process. But we have the capacity, uniquely on this planet, we have the capacity to contemplate our origins and our destinies. That's a pretty big thing, you know, to say, wow, there's wonderful, it's irrelevant, but there's no hope ultimately. Hope is a term, it's a concept. You know, we can contemplate our non-existence. We can contemplate our origins. It's, it's wonderful. We don't know how we got here. And isn't that the biggest question? People have trouble. Some people have trouble believing in ghosts. Well, evidence is admit, admittedly quite flimsy. But um, it depends on how you define ghost. You know? But uh, that's small potatoes compared to thinking of the, you know, the fate of the universe, the origins of the universe. That we are here in defiance of any logic, that we exist, that we can have this conversation. Maybe we're just brains in jars, I don't know. But we're talking about this. We don't know how it all started. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that amazing? I need 300 frappin' more years. I need 50 more years to try and get a grasp on it. Because I thought these things when I was 17 years old. I don't have answers now, but I want more time to wonder about it. You know, isn't it remarkable that we can think uh, the dolphins are pretty smart. Elephants probably have an equal intelligence with ours. Elephants can contemplate their own demise. Elephants turn over bones of elephants in an elephant's graveyard. They mourn they're dead, but they can't think about it like we do. They don't have an elephant God. You know, they don't need a God. So I think we're pretty remarkable as a species. I hope something out there thinks so too. I hope we are being visited by something else, something that cares about us, best case scenario, but something out there is aware of us. There's a theory out there that Elon Musk is an alien. Yeah, well, that would explain his great and vast intelligence, the far-reaching of Well, his it's brain. not even that. There's a, there's a photo that came out with him on his yacht and how pasty white he is. I know it. He's like, he's got that farmer's, you know, white, a farmer's tan, but but he's well, like that all over. Well, like you look at it, like it's not like a normal white. That's that's a white of a guy who sits in his office all day and tries to think of better change in the world. You know, it's. Well, yeah. yeah I, what has he accomplished? He's made himself very wealthy and he went in space, you know. Um, 
of course, you know, you might get a different opinion on him from Elise, my paranormal partner, uh, because she drives a Tesla. So, so he's great. You know, I think it's just as you know, just his, he's, he's his, innovative. His yeah. ideas, he's amazing. You know, like the well, no, he does. He's he's a brilliant man, but he has the luxury of being brilliant. I think you know, far-reaching thoughts. My mind goes to the far edges of the universe. You know, but nobody cares. Well, maybe you care because I'm talking about it. I care. <laughs> Thank you. That's why I'm here. And Jason cares too. Absolutely. Know? But that's the way my mind works. It's you know, it's just so fascinating. I can't be. Bo- I can be very distressed and very unhappy and very scared, but I cannot be bored because of the brevity of life. Because what the mysteries we're exploring through the paranormal, through paranormal research, it's full of speculation. But that's great. We're using our brains. You know, has ghosts been proven? I think it has been proven that they're a ghost. I personally think that's irrefutable. You can say a ghost is not and is something, you know, whatever. Maybe it's the souls of people, the remnants of once living human beings, as many of them appear to be. But uh, we have not proven a lot to ourselves. I think it's established they're a ghost. Does that give us eternal life? I don't know, but, you know. There are ghosts around. And what encourages me feebly is that ghosts have personalities. Some of them talk amongst themselves and we record them. What the heck does that? You know, what yeah. makes that happen? I went to I Ohio. Think there, I think there's just so much trauma in history in the, in the human yeah. race for not so for something not to be there. I mean, I mean, like it's not like even like it's not like even like you know like somebody's home. Like you look like these like you know like like I mentioned like Perryville, Waverly Hills. Yeah. I mean, like, has anybody actually like investigated Auschwitz? Places like that. Like just think about just imagine how crazy active that place could be. Or people um, get some haunting feelings there, but they know what history transpired there. Yeah. Um, there was a remarkable episode of the Rod Serling's The Twilight Zone. Um. Now. Rod Serling, he was a soldier in World War One, and he visited the emancipated uh, concentration camps and was very traumatized by that. And he was of Jewish origin. Um, this one, I think it was probably the best episode of The Twilight Zone, where a commandant, a former commandant, he was a Nazi, he goes back to a concentration camp and he finds one person still there. Dressed as a prisoner, you know, he's a prisoner that he, uh, under his rule, you know, under his stewardship of of that concentration camp. And he's startled to see this, this emaciated prisoner. But he said, it is, and he remembers his name. It is good to see you here. We should have a drink and talk over old times. And there's this, not a, not music, but an eerie wind blowing through the buildings throughout the episode. And he says, you know, he excuses himself. He says, you know, know, what I did, I had to do for the fatherland. I was a soldier. And the prisoner, the shade of the prisoner says, you were not a soldier. You were a butcher. And he says, you should be dead. He says, says, wait, you are dead. I killed you. And then he sees all around him, the prisoners looking at him in their tattered prison clothes. And this eerie wind is blowing through the buildings and they're all looking at him. He says, you know, 
Remember what you did. Remember the experiments. I want you to feel it. And he buckles over in pain and is screaming. Ah, he's feeling what his prisoners did. Now, eventually he's found and he's brought out of there and he's insane. They say, we don't know what happened to him. He just came back and he he's lost his mind. And at the end, what is so beautiful about that episode is its ending. It's poignancy, of course, but it's ending. Where Rod Serling, he doesn't do his, you know, an answer was just found in the twilight zone. You know. His narration, he says, um, the Dachau's, the Auschwitz, the, you know, Dachau, he says, uh, he said, a lesson to be rem uh, a lesson to be learned, not only in the twilight zone, but wherever men walk God's earth. And I can't, I well up with tears every time I think of that. What an impact that had for a, a 23 minute show, you know, to, to watch that. And that was Rod Sterling's genius that he could bring that out. And it was a black and white episode. It's so effective. Yeah. And all these scatological things, all these diverse subjects, you know, they all tie into the paranormal because we're all wondering why, what, and where. And when I see a ghost or I see a coffee cup move across the table, there's a little glimpse there's something more to it all. You know, I'm looking at a ghost. What, that's a shade of a person. That's a remnant of a person that has an intelligence to it. It shouldn't be, but it is. I'm looking into the past. And I've been fortunate to see a ghost. I believe it's eight times. It might be nine if I really thought about it. And always it's been what I didn't plan to. I mean, I've been in a haunted setting. Every time I've seen a ghost that looked like a person, it was always... And I've seen them fade and I've seen them just disappear. It was looking at a living person, except one instance was different. And that was where it was just a purple face that opened up like a scroll. And then it collapsed like a dimensional barrier. But, and that was, uh, you know, that was in Middleton, Massachusetts. Um, but every time I've seen, almost every time I've seen a ghost, they're people. For an instant, maybe a third of a second, I'm looking, what is this person doing here? There's something weird about it. Uh, I don't know. You probably couldn't hear that. That was the steps from when it be just. Yeah, I heard a pop. Before. Yep, that popping. I was talking through it. That was the steps from when just before the show, I uh, I turned down the lights downstairs and I, I walked up here from the stairwell. That was me, you know, my impression. Um, that was the Oliver house where I saw that purple, like, rift you know, like a panel opened up and it was a woman's face and then it closed again. Uh, but usually when I've seen a ghost, the thought process is and within a third of a second, maybe uh, it's a novelist. That person is here. That person is dressed a little differently. Why is that person here? That person, I'm looking at a ghost. I'm looking at a non-living being and it's looking back at me with that static unblinking glare. And then it's gone. I've been fortunate to see that. It's only like, I think once where somebody else saw the ghost at the same time, did I? It's very lonely to be the one who sees it. And yeah, I have high credibility. I make it real when I talk, but in the end, it's my experience. I want other people to see it. Yeah. So I like, wish I could give that to seeing somebody. Like, I wish I could give that to Elise. Yeah. See, seeing like a ghost and like, so like, have you like seen a demon or have you seen like a demon like encapsulated in a person? I have seen both. I've seen 
disturbing shadowy in motion forms. I was in a, at a case in Oklahoma, Edmond, Oklahoma. I was called in. This was in 2010. And uh, we banished the demonic spirit. Demons, for some reason, you see, they can be driven away, unlike a human ghost. Human ghosts, you can bore them. You can say, don't bother me, don't scare me, and they usually dissipate. Demons are trickier, but you sometimes can push them away. So uh, I have different views on you know, these, these aspects of paranormal now. But we they called me in as an expert. I said, okay, I'm a paranormal paramedic, you know. Uh, I've got to do something for these people. And so we'll treat it as a real demon. A young woman in the house was being taken over and possessed. And she went through a horrendous fit. And she had been before. And so what we did as a strategy, I'm thinking this up as we're going along. I said, let's take this thing, chase it, corner it. Get Once it leaves her, take advantage of what it's not constantly with her. She's oppressed, temporarily possessed. Once she's over that fit, it's out of her. Concentrate on it, you know, use prayer, use whatever works, get this out room to room, then get it out of the house. Treat it as if it's physical. We went outside, our team, and Mike Ricksecker, that was the night I met him, worked with him, Kathy Nance, just wonderful people, and Christy Selfry. So we went outside. We're chasing the demon out. We're calling it, what else can we call it? This terrific wind, the cyclonic wind picked up. And maybe it was just good timing. Maybe it was a cyclone kind of going on there. It was a, a wind that could rip your shirt. So we go out there and I'm saying, now be gone. We cast you out of this property. You can no longer be here. And I'm using my loudest, strongest voice. And the wind is steadily picking up. They had two cats, these felines, are running around us like crazy, maybe because of the wind, but they're running in circles around us. And by gum, some of us saw it. I saw it it's, it's two times I've seen something like this. We saw what looked like gibbons, black things climbing up the trees, uh, one tree. You know, it's like, you know, like three or four of these monkey-like things are climbing up the tree. There's like simians that are like monkeys, like spider monkeys, but they're all black. And they're not really there, but we're seeing them. So, so was it one? Was it one demonic entity, or you think it was like a legion of entity? I thought I think it was one, and that's just it. It split itself up for whatever reason. When it, it wanted to keep a hold of the house, was desperate, and it uh, it turned itself into these monkey-like things. It didn't make just one. That's that's what it could do right then. You know, it wasn't just one big leering human form. I don't know why. There's monkeys climbing up the tree, these black things. Simians, that's how my mind interpreted it. Mike saw that. Kathy saw that. You know? And I was just exhausted when I came back in. It's a really dramatic episode. Well, it was documented. It wasn't done for a TV show, but TV show, you know, TV production crew was there. So you forget the cameras are running, really, in a situation like that. Um so there was no acting involved. And we found out the cause of the demon, what brought it in. And that was very, I shouldn't reveal it because it's her business, but she revealed something that happened to her. And boy, that was more dramatic than what you see in the, in the television episode. 
because the the producer Alex, who was producing that episode, they wanted to be very real, so he had his handheld camcorder. And this woman went into hysterics. This young woman who was the subject, her brother was also experienced things. Uh, he 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 stopped filming and he stood. He moved back. Nobody did get near her because she was a sizable girl. She was very strongly built, and she was in hysterics. And the everybody's backing off, camera crew. Everybody's backing off the sides of the room. I knew somebody had to do something. I mean, I don't know if it was bravery or what it was, but somebody had to act. And I figured I'm in that role, so I went up to her. She's flailing. She's screaming. And I went up to her and I put my hand on the side of her face. It's gonna be all right. Yeah, you're okay. You are okay. You got through this. This is the worst, and you got through it. And and she sobbed, and it worked. It was effective. And that's not in the episode. That that's how it was fixed. And she was better. I mean, some things happened. Their house stayed haunted, but it was never as bad after that. You know? One of the best experiences I ever had in my career of paranormal research was uh, the night that episode debuted. I called them like 10 minutes before the show. I said, you all ready to watch? And they said, oh, my God, it's Carl. It's Carl Johnson. He's on the phone. He's very, oh, what big deal am I? But that was just very gratifying. Good memories. It is pretty gratifying. I texted you on your birthday. I said, happy birthday, Carly. texted back. I thought it was a big shot. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Um, did Jason, have you ever had any, uh, what you thought was a demonic case? Well, the closest thing that I thought maybe was arguably a, along that lines was a gentleman who we later found out um, suffered from PTSD from World War II. Wow. And uh, he committed suicide in his car in the garage uh, with a carbon monoxide. And the, we caught him on the recorder. Um, and he, and, and not only did we catch him on the recorder, we heard him out loud in the living room. And there was, there was people who would stay up in the apartments. This is over a business. There's people who would stay at the apartment and they wouldn't stay long because of the things that were happening, and rightfully so. Um, and this man was so loud that he he bellowed out this yell, this scream, and um, and that's all it took. Uh, that that was all it took. And you know our, you know it was me and another investigator. We went downstairs and we were like, "Did you guys hear that?" And they said, "No, we were almost asleep down here because it was so late." Um, so we. We, we thought that maybe it was along that lines, but nothing like that. About the closest thing maybe that we thought was maybe evil, um, we found out that it was just a mass grave. It was uh, people had passed away from diphtheria, and they just piled everybody into this one this one mass grave. And the gentleman who owned the property said they lifted up this gigantic concrete slab, and that's where all the bones were uh, just piled on top of each other. So, And there was a lot of... Uh, you know, history as far as, you know, what they would hear, what they would see, you know, and people would thought, well, they, you know, these are demons coming up out of the land and, and they would see them at night. And, and we just, obviously we concluded the fact that when you have so much death, uh, that sometimes all that energy can be, you know, mistaken for, uh, something along that lines, but yeah. Yeah. 
It's kind of a crazy thought, though. Like, just like the oppression of like. Uh, obviously, you see what well, you see. One thing, obviously, in movies, but like you, you know, to live that. I guess that Hollywoodized ideal of a demonic possession or a demonic oppression. It's got to be kind of nuts. Yeah. Yeah, and it's and, and I think Carl Carl can contest to the fact that this isn't an everyday thing. I mean, this is it's few and no, far between. This is going to be about as rare as a spontaneous combustion, right? I mean, yeah. I mean, you're but you're going to have these cases, and you got to be ready for it. You know, I've got like I said, I got one case right now that is, I think, beyond kind of my expertise per se, or my ability to help out. Well, you, well, you got the guy right here. You can ask away. He, we, we, yeah. we were talking about teaming up here. I mean, come on, man. <laughs> right, right, right. And I and I and I want to say. I'm going to err on the side that it's not paranormal. Uh, I, I hate to draw that conclusion because, uh, like I say, every case is different. But you know, I've got a, I've got a woman who, pretty much every member of her family is has either been in the ICU or has passed away, and she's claimed that it originates from this house. And you know, it's it's one of those things where I want to help, but. And, and Carl, it's it's one of those things because we meet so many people. We're around so many different people. And when you have somebody that you, when you listen to them talk, it, it's kind of like, are they looking, are they looking for attention? Is there, is there a psychological mind almost too dangerous for me to be a part of? Um, yeah. You, know you don't I mean? know until you're in the fray. Yeah, you don't know what the result's going to be. You right. know that person wants to be listened to. Right. I mean, I want to be listened to. I get into these, you know, I become tangential, and I say how great this all is, how interesting, you know. But you know, going on and on. But somebody that's in distress about their situation, you so want to help them. And sometimes, and you, I think you can attest to this as well, Jason. Sometimes you feel your energy spilling off into them they're getting stronger you're getting kind of i just want to get this over with yeah yeah uh, but they're benefiting from it you're helping them i think there's actual uh, physiological process where your aura actually is feeding theirs they're the ones in distress and they need help but you don't know really in, until you're into it how long a session is going to be how much you can be of help to that person yeah. you just feel compelled to help them yeah something and it's jumped. Yeah. And, and not everybody is a good fit. You know, it's right. It's one of those, it's one of those things where it, might just, it, it can be beyond your, your control. So. Yeah. But I think on that note, we've gone for almost two, two and, and a half hours. I feel like we could continue to talk about this like all day. Cause like I learned so much from both of you guys that it's just yeah. like, it blows my mind. Now is all this going to be, I mean, are you going to edit it? Is it going to be pretty much what we've said here? What's Yeah, I'm just going to take it. I take the show, I copy and I post it. So just pretty much as it is, if somebody wants to stick with it, I think it's content has been sufficiently interesting to somebody to stick with it. Yeah. Cause we just, you know, we, we go from topic to topic to topic. We're converted. I'm we're good like, at that. I'm, I think well, I'm good at that. That's just how I operate. Know. Yeah. <laughs> it was how we talk, you know? Yeah. push my button you know and i've got this excellent co-guest jason and, uh, well i think we should do this again we should do this again like around halloween we should just yep have me back Another therapy. prepare for yeah, it to spill over by an hour to an hour and a half yeah i guess you know 
Nebraska boot man still here and he loved it. So yeah. Yeah, there was a there was a gentleman by the name of Art Bell and Carl. I, I yeah. know you know who Art Bell is. Yes. And and uh, Art Bell was instrumental and in, and he was just radio and he was instrumental in having people on. And I think he had the Warrens on, if I'm not mistaken. I think he, he did much, yeah. Okay. And I this is when I was a cop. I used to listen to him and I'd work uh, third shift. That's and right. I'm You're not, not gonna... a young, young guy. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm, I'm going before to... George before his successor, George Nori. Uh. Yeah, yeah. I, I used to listen to Art Bell and Third Shift, and we, we, when we were done with the drunks and stuff, and it was this this quiet time from like you know, probably like two thirty a.m. until whenever um, Art Bell would come on, and he had guests on that had caught EVPs. Now in today's world. A lot of times when you hear an EVP, people are just kind of like, yeah, okay, whatever. You know, you you manipulated that. And you, we have to have a lot of shock value in today's world. Now. Yeah. You have to shock the hell out of people for them to engage. I think I heard somebody say that the typical person in this world today has the attention span of a goldfish. Um, so we really have to be on top of things when it comes Good to that. Right ah, there so, you go. Classic example, huh? So Art Bell had these people on, and he would play the EVPs. And I'm not going to kid you, my my butt puckered so hard when I heard these voices. And and yeah. now I, I look back and I think, okay, yeah, whatever. But now that I do this, and I catch these voices, and I'm listening in, and I'm, I, I put in, I, I'll bet you I put in at least, you know, 70 hours of constant listening to all this and watching video and et cetera, et cetera. Um, it still gets to me to this day. So to kind of to kind of let the audience know, you know, when they do watch this or, or they're watching now, it wouldn't be the worst idea to maybe for me, for instance, maybe Carl wants to as well, is maybe just have people hear something, have people see something. So while they're with me, I can show them my screen, turn my camera to it, and they can see that REM pod, the response when I did shave and haircut and stuff like that. So um yeah, it's 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 worth maybe exploring for people to have a little little something extra with this. Yeah. Oh, I can try to figure that out as we go here. I mean, I'm a plumber. I'm not a computer guy. That's what I do. I, I lay a pipe. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't make magic right. on screens. <laughs> yeah. You guys do that. You guys make the magic. I'm just here to ask silly questions and get off topic and talk about galaxies. <laughs> and- <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, we could do it again anytime you guys want to, so. It's uh, we can change it up. We can add things. Whatever you want to do. So you should bring out. We should ask Carl to bring uh, bring him to the strip club with him. I have a theory with the strip club. That, that may elicit a response. Sure. Yeah. I uh, well, I have a theory. Seriously, I, I, a decent theory with this the strip club ghost. This thing spends all this time in the strip club. It's constantly getting because if, if it's an intelligent spirit, what you yeah, you know, what you have gathered. It's constantly getting a show, you know what I mean, in whatever yes. way. I mean, it's there for a reason. It's constantly getting a show, and it gets put on the spotlight. So when Jason goes to do, the, do the, his investigations, he wants to give a show. If it's intelligent, hmm. it's going to want to, you know, take whatever, you know, just take what it's getting every day and put a show on. And I think that's a, kind of a reasonable idea for an intelligent spirit, is it not? I mean. Well, it kept, you know, our equipment kept telling us that there's something buried where the pole is. I mean, of all places in this gigantic building, it's telling us that there's something buried underneath the stage. Now, we went, we did go under the stage. 
because they kept telling us, I'm like, okay, we got to go underneath there. And it's all dirt. Uh, the, the stage is literally right on top of dirt. And, uh, you know, the about the only thing that I know about it as far as history is it used to be a supper club in the 70s. So it was old, It was owned by an elderly couple who, who uh, you know, had control of it for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Could that pole be a conduit to, uh, for not only, you know, great endings and great shows, but could be a conduit for the paranormal? You know, you, you never know. I mean, let's face it. Um, I mean, hell, I, I wouldn't mind being at, at this club, you know, if I was passed on to another world. You know, it's, it's, it ain't going to cost me a thing. And, <laughs> you know, I, I told you, man, if this thing gets sits there, gets a free show, you know, what, four nights yeah. a week, and he gets his what? time on the spotlight. He's going to entertain. Yeah, and at the risk of of sounding arrogance, um, I, at first I was just kind of like, okay, you know, these people are just probably looking to get to drum up some business. You know, we, we got the ghost hunters that in Wisconsin were the were probably the the most you know um, contacted paranormal group out there. Uh, we're very we're highly recognized in Iowa. Um, and, and the thing is, is, you know, not to pat myself on the back too much, but at, at first I was just kind of like, are they using us, you know, for recognition? Are they using us to, you know, and, um, I have to, I have to say that I, my thoughts at first were, were, were wrong. You know, I was, I, and I'm not ashamed to admit the fact that I, I was probably an asshole for thinking that way, but you know, Carl, when, when we get these cases and stuff, we, because we do have so much, you know, we have so much, you know, education in this area um, that we tend to kind of say, eh, I think I can diagnose this one pretty quick. And then we get there and we end up having to wear a diaper, you know. Um, so we have, a com- we have a comment, that, you know. Yeah, that's an interesting one. They all are. There's... You want me to read it? Well, I can read it too. The Nebraska yeah, Bootman it. says... I've been told that spirits gravitate towards clubs and spaces with sexual energy. Sounds like it, question mark. Yeah, it sounds real. Uh, They have no use for sex in the spirit world. But how far are they removed from us? It's excitation. It's concentration. It's convivial. It's a fun place. It's human. Yeah. And it's, you know, Carl, help me out with this one. I am finding that our paranormal investigators, the female ones, get more attention than men do. I don't know if it's like a motherly instinct. They have more energy. You know, the fact that they can carry a baby. You know, I I, I don't know. But for some reason, women get more attention uh, with our group. I think they're more receptive by nature. Mm -hmm. I mean, of course, being politically correct, there's absolutely no difference between male and female. But there is. I mean, they can be. But I'm being facetious. There, there is definitely, and of course, this doesn't correlate to intelligence or capability. Mm-hmm. But uh, because that be more receptive at that club, yeah. at that club, that ghost there or ghosts, you know, more than one, they, they had, they had a certain behavior with these dancers, and now that we're there and nobody else is there they're banging on shit. They're banging on stuff. They're, they're creating all kinds of a disturbance. And it's kind of like, you know, it's, it, it kind of makes sense. You know, I want to hang with the ladies. I want to pick on them. I want to pull their hair and trip them. 
Yeah. I'm gonna move I'm gonna move their clothing around. And then when these paranormal investigators are there, you know, I, you know, my I'm sorry to say this. It, it kind of helps get the, the story out. But I think this ghost is saying, you know, hey, fuck you. Uh, this is my place. And, uh, you know, you guys are a pain in my ass. You know, so. Hey, you never know. Yeah. Well, it carries over. I mean, they have human emotions. They're not human anymore, these spirits, but they're human generated and they they carry over some emotions and there's sometimes no rhyme to reason or even justice to it because somebody's right. supposed to go to heaven and yeah. Yeah. Hey Carl, have you uh Carl, have you ever had the opportunity of seeing somebody pass away in front of you? Yes. Okay. Parent. Have you so I've done CPR on a lot of people when I was a cop. And I never as a ghost hunter, I, I think if I was a paranormal investigator at the time, I would have seen it maybe more often. Once I got to the point where when somebody dies in front of you, everybody tends to get tunnel vision and they freeze. Um, hmm. With When I started doing CPR on people, I all of a sudden started to notice that when the color left their skin, I saw a black shadow would leave their body at a high rate of speed. And when I brought them back to life, it would jet back in there and you could see the color. Back. And it the first time I saw it, I, I thought to myself, I'm like, what in the absolute hell was that? Uh, because I it, basically what it was is a woman was choking. I gave her the Heimlich. I just happened to be at the right place, right time. The steak comes out of her mouth. She falls to the floor. By then it's too late. I start CPR. And as I'm doing CPR, I see this thing jet away from her body. And I looked at this lady and I go, I'm like this. I'm like, did you just see that? And she's in total shock because, you know, it's, you know, somebody's dying. Um, but then I started to notice it more often. So when I did CPR again, I made a mental note to watch for that. Uh, and it was fascinating. It was just absolutely fascinating. Just hmm. absolutely incredible. There's got to be something to that. Um, you know, I've found, you know, like people who have died naturally, you know, on, you know, the street. A side street and alley when I had different jobs in Providence. You know, I've had people I wasn't sure if they were dead, you know. They had all the signs of being dead, but they weren't. It was highly intoxicated. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, one interesting account I can uh, tack on to yours was my brother-in-law, Joe, was working security at Twin Rivers Casino in North Providence. He is not a spiritual person, you know, he's just a top believing ghost, very pragmatic, you know, very business of the day. Just not a very imaginative person. Well, he was working at Twin Rivers and one of their, one of his co-workers, one of the security guys, uh, he had a massive heart attack and he, he died suddenly. I think he had a pulse for about a minute afterwards. But he was being loaded into the back of an ambulance and in the security camera. Now, it has to be real because Joe Bailey is telling us this and he's totally sincere. He's not a cryptid person. He's not a ghost person. He doesn't care about it, anything like that. But I know he saw this. He and a co-worker next to him reviewing the security cam. They show they're loading this man. I think he had the sheet over him, but they're, you know, tried to resuscitate him. They're bringing him to the ambulance 
and walking behind the paramedics, you know, carrying, you know, transporting the body on the stretcher, you know, wheeling him, uh, is the man who died walking behind them. And he gets to the ambulance and then he fades away. Well, He's walking behind them. And that was on the security cam playback. And they watched it a few times. The next day they went to watch it and the image wasn't there anymore. The man, had, it wasn't there. Mm. The ghost wasn't there anymore. But they know they saw it. Yeah. You know? It didn't leave a lasting impression on the film. Interesting as heck. What's the principles behind that? But your story made me think of that. Your your, your accounts. Yeah. yeah. Amazing that you saw something black. Maybe in a dimmer light that would have been brighter. But you saw something like a black form shoot yeah. away rapidly from the person. And then when they were looked, brought back, came back. It, obviously, she's on the floor. So she looked yeah. more stre- stretched out as opposed to an actual you know, apparition or figure. Right. She looked more stretched out like she was shooting across the room, the floor. Um, and, and, when, and when I brought her back, I could see her, her eye. She kind of went, oh, like this. And as she went like that, I saw it come right back into her body. Um, and, and I will never, I will never forget that day because I'm like, you know what? The next time I do this, I have to watch for this. I really got to watch for this, but I've interviewed, uh, nurses, um, over at the Racine, um, in, in, in the the city of Racine, um, the, uh, oh, I'm sorry. It was the Beloit's the Beloit hospital. I I take that back. So the Beloit hospital, I interviewed nurses there, uh, because we had an incident there that was caught on a camera that was given to us. And according to the nurses and the doctors, they said straight out, they were like, oh, you're not telling us anything new. We see shadow figures all the time. In fact, our policy is that when somebody passes, they have to open up the blinds for the soul to leave. That's in their policy book. Wow. Uh, so they, they, they deal with this all the time. I mean, it's just as a ghost hunter, you almost think to yourself, would it be worth my time to hang out? at a funeral parlor and interview people would it be you know feasible for me behoove of me you know to to go to an icu unit and hang out i'm sure that there is hipaa violations galore but yeah um but it's interesting Uh, i hope you do it because i won't have the nerve to you know i'm not I, i don't want to be that intrusive i do and i don't you know um Something that's happened with loved ones very close to my great-grandfather and my father um, and my mother. There was a lightning, you could call it. It's palpable. The room suddenly gets very much brighter. And it's these persons I had known all my life up till then, you feel them there. Mm-hmm. It was with my mother, father, and great, uh, my mother, my father. Not in that order. It was my great grandfather, then my father passed, and my mother just uh, three years, nearly three years ago. And uh, yeah, you feel they're there. It's comforting. It's strange, and you wish you could share that with people. And my sister felt yeah. the same thing. Yeah. You know, but yeah, something like that. Other people's experiences. Um, I didn't feel, well, I did feel kind of strange right when my mother passed. It felt lighter, it felt like she was there. The room didn't look any different, but we did feel that she was there. There's so much sadness and tragedy attached to that event. 
yet, you know, it's beautiful moments too. You know, my sister sure. reacted very badly. And they say that when people pass, there's a, a cognizance, a, like some minutes of awareness that, you know, they, they know. And uh, if my mother heard what transpired, I hope she could understand that my sister was very distraught, you know, um, because she went into a bad scene. Um, but yeah, there was, you know, you, you do feel things and you, you know, it, it's palpable. It's hard to describe Jason, you know, and, and Louis, yeah. but you know, when it's happening. Well, that's, and that's one thing. It's one thing that I've learned, um, in talking with nurses, hospice, they say that about, I think it's a month. I think it's a month. They said that seems to be the, the, uh, the common number. Uh, that you start seeing shadow people people before you're going to pass on, and it's about a month beforehand. And it's interesting because when my, before my grandfather passed away, he started seeing shadow people and butterflies, and he was mm. crying because he, he's crying to me. And he goes, Jason, he says, I'm seeing these things, and it's scaring the hell out of me. He goes, and I think people are going to think I'm crazy, but I'm seeing butterflies and people standing around me. And he goes, and I don't get it. And And he was dead within a matter of two weeks then. Um, so it's, you know, it, it's a fascinating world and I'm glad we're part of it. Yes. Isn't it though? My father saw a woman in white. So unlike my dad, my dad would not believe in a ghost. There was nothing to that. It was heaven and hell. And that was it. Um, not anything in between, but his last day, the day before he died, uh, th that night he saw a woman in white and he was very rational telling us this and he saw a woman very matter of fact we saw a woman bright woman in white in his room maybe an angel helping him transport right. and, uh, turn over to the next life um but yeah it's people it's, have it, remarkable it, you know and it, for a podcast it's a good topic of discussion is, is spirit guides for sure i mean you could literally talk all day and every day about who you think your spirit guide is. Because um, I've had people tell me in their dreams, you know, I saw a person that looked like this and they told me they're, I'm their spirit guide or what have you. It's, you know, it's, 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 it's an endless amount of material. So. Mm. Well, when I had that COVID, you know, I know we got to wrap up here, but when I was. My no, point I, already got, I already got the next show name. So I, I next show is next life. Next life of Carl and Jason. There I you go. Here. I wrote it down right. You said the next life. I was like, yeah, Well, if we get a transcript show. of these shows, we'll have our our first book that Jason and I co-author. You know, but when I was stricken with COVID, I had some rough times. I mean, it was scary because I didn't know it would be resolved. There's no voice saying you're going to get over it. It's okay. I was pretty isolated because you know I don't didn't have my mother, didn't have anybody except a landlady who was not very caring, you know, and, um, you know, I, I thought that I started hallucinating. Uh, it was, it, it was like waking dreaming, dreaming. And, uh, I see my parents kind of coming through the door of my bedroom and, and out of my closet, both standing there. And I said, out. I mean, I'm thinking, I'm hallucinating, you know, I'm at that point, but 
I mean, I didn't eat or drink for the first week. And that does things to you, of course. I mean, I was aware, but uh, I lost 56 pounds with that bottle wow. of COVID in 10 days. Oof, wow. That is just from not drink. I couldn't force myself to drink. It just wouldn't work. And uh, naturally, I, I didn't know if I was going to pull through it. Because you hear the radio, you hear the television. You know, and that's very alarming. But uh, I started to see my parents. And I said, I love you guys so dearly. I don't want to see you now. Because I'm afraid of what it means. You know, yeah, yeah. It's not, not now, you know. But, uh, you know, I, I pulled through it. It was just a rough time. But I didn't, it's the not knowing that's bad. And the well, and that's just that, yeah. yeah. You know, but you, know, you do a whole show on that. Any one of these topics, you can go on. And Oh, my God. I, I was fascinated about so I feel like when I do these shows, especially like with you two, I'm just I'm I'm just a sponge. I'm learning. Like I just it's not even about like making content. This is all educational for me and hopefully for everybody else listening. It's, it's amazing listening to you guys talk. Hmm. I think there's a layer of love and compassion this broadcast. Not everybody picks up on it because there are some seriously rotten people out there. The human mind is capable of so much malice. Uh, but there's also some substrate, some level of, of goodness, because good is, in the end, good is superior to evil. And uh, I think there's out there, I think people under certain duress, they find that, they, they tap into that, you know, and yeah. it's just a beautiful love. And I just, I haven't been con compassionate enough with people. I wish I'd done more uh more good for people i mean i've done some pretty as i'm sure jason has and i'm sure you have louis i've done some remarkably good things for persons i've saved i don't know i think i can't count anymore it's like almost how many ghosts i've seen i think i've actually literally saved somebody's life seven times you know i just happen to be at the right place at the right time and it's remarkable what what sometimes we do putting ourselves in harm's way to save a stranger. Um, but I can't pat myself on the back because there are sometimes I could have reacted and didn't because it was inconvenient because I was timid because I didn't, I, I said, you know, what are the consequences of what I'm going to do? You know, but, uh, yeah, I feel I, like karma is real. I mean, you know, you can yeah. say you want karma is a real thing. And it's, you know, no matter how you look at it, how it transpires in your life. I mean, I feel like if you do something good, something good might happen to you. I mean, that's, that's how I always kind of transcend doing good things or, you know, obviously like the beard club. I mean, I mean, we try to do our best to help people out and, and the, you know, on the backside of it, you know, maybe we get more recruits and keep on doing yeah. better things, you know, just one of those things. Mm -hmm. But, but on that note, uh, we will do this again soon hopefully okay um and hopefully we can get some orchestrated too with carl coming to wisconsin either yeah you can Very you nice. got a free room you got a free room here carl if you want to come you can stay in my place it's not a problem i'm sure i'm sure jason is in the same boat no, if you, yeah. you want to come there's no hotel fee you know if we do if we do orchestrated investigation we can do something like that together i mean you have a free place to stay so remember i have special needs 
Well, my needs are pretty, they're pretty special to me when I need them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm pretty simple. Like as long as I get a, as long as I get something to lay down on and like a pillow, I'm good. I don't need. Well, a I'm pretty adaptable. Yeah, I don't do good with snoring. That keeps me awake, but uh, no, like I, I can sometimes sleep through it. Yeah, but, you know, definitely we should we should try to get an investigation found out and you know something and have Carl come with us or vice versa. That'd be pretty sweet. Just to meet Carl firsthand, I think that'd be cool. I, oh yes, yeah, right. We haven't met in person yet. Yep. I met Jason, all too briefly. But yeah. yeah. Well, let's see what Paracons we might both be at. Yeah. There's just one coming up in Wisconsin, isn't there? With yeah. The, I can't remember who's there, but I think there's I think there's just two of them. There's one always in Menominee, and there's always one in, uh, I think it's over by you, Jason. Paracon. Madison? No, I think it's Fond du Lac area. Oh, Fond du Lac? Yeah, I think Fond du Lac. Bell, I, think, I think Adam Bell's going to be there. Okay. Yeah, I'm not as mobile. For, I was a presence of the conferences uh, last year and this year. I mean, some of last year and this year. But my partner was James Anito, and we had duo demonology. And quite abruptly, James moved on and uh, dissolved duo demonology. I mean, I, I can't say I was super disappointed in that. But as a result, I don't travel as much because he's sturdier than I am in some ways he can do. And I'm there to keep him awake because he would continually fall asleep at the wheel. And, uh, well, but we'd go places. You no, know, we'd, we'd end up places and he went a lot. And I said, Oh no, like a 14 hour drive. And it was every bit that both yeah. ways. Yeah. But, you know, my legs cramp up. I think I'm going to lose the circulation. I might lose my legs. You know, I mean, because it really feel like that. They'd go numb. Um, but I'd get to go more places. I'd be on the, the roster and it's not like that anymore. We could always meet halfway and go to Waverly together. I mean, I'm open for that. I'd love to go yeah, back there. Could do that. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, I'll be doing some, uh, like a talk tomorrow. Uh, uh, one of the speakers will be James Nito and, uh, you know, Mike L King. Uh, he's actually hosting it. And, uh, Elise has too much going on to be part of it because it's uh, turning from like a, a talk. She's got to keep, keep you out of trouble too. Elise is my guardian angel. Yeah. Uh, I don't agree with everything that she says or does, but when I don't agree with it, it usually turns out she was right. And um, yeah, but because it's becoming more of a comedy act, she said, that's not what I'm there for. People want to find out what I do and why I do it. I will tell them, but I'm not going to, Send up there just for jokes. You know, I, I've got far too much to do with my time. She keeps busy. And, uh, yeah, Elise is my bodyguard, by the way. Yeah, she is. She's, somebody's going to make sure I don't trip down the steps. <laughs> yeah. Or she's, she's uh, I hope she's not listening to this part because she doesn't like me to talk about, but she's a very experienced martial artist, a very accomplished martial artist. And with eight years of training, steady, steady training, not sporadic, and uh, into many different disciplines, you know, she's you know, licensed to carry arms, and she's getting a private detective li- license. She has a background. She's worked for police departments, and she just uh, she's pretty stable. She has a, a BS degree in uh, criminal justice. You know, 
But uh, I was never afforded such opportunities in my, by the time I was in my 20s, mid-20s, I'd pretty much given up on further, formally furthering my education, but I do on my own, of course, I'm, you know, self-educated as well. But, you know, Elise is my bodyguard. She's, uh, her brain is younger. It works better. I mean, I can, I can talk very smart and, and I guess I am, but you know, I've lost so much information. It's just not, I know stuff, but it's not accessible to me. It's not retrievable as it was, you know? So, and Elise is innovative in her own way, but she looks up to me, whatever reason. No, but she's the other half of our our team. And we'll have that show coming on debuting again, uh, August 25th. I probably got some props for you, you know, should have had some pictures and, copy of my book that I always like to hold up, you know, next time. <laughs> but if you're editing, when you're editing the show, I did send you some pictures. So you can pop up every once in a while. A little bit. I do. I do zero editing. What we're doing now goes right to the show. There's no, I, I like it raw. I like it real. I don't like well, that. That's good because this has been stream of consciousness talking, you know, we're not scripted at all. Yeah. I don't like scripts. I don't. I don't like schedules. I don't like scripts. I don't like. No, because you lose a lot that way when it becomes predictable. Yeah. But on that note, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you guys go. I'm gonna sign off, and we will go. Very right, man. Okay. Thank well, you guys we, very we much for coming on. It's we did our three good. hours precisely. Yeah. It's, it's it's been absolutely amazing. So you guys. It has been. I lose track of the time. I mean, I, I, that first hour flew by because the first half hour we were talking about spontaneous combustion. My mind was just blown. Like, I couldn't believe that. Was I didn't thing. know that would be such a hit. Yeah. If we find <laughs> out about anybody combusting or any one of us in the meantime, that's going to only augment the show. <laughs> Anybody who's had, please write in if you've had spontaneous human combustion and you were the combustee. You know, that'd be great to hear about. I mean, not it's unfortunate, but it's great to hear about. Yeah, no kidding. I'm gonna have to do more research. Actually, I'm gonna have to listen to your show and then yeah. do uh, do some more research on it. Because also, if you know somebody who was uh, deliberately self-immolated, you know, I'm, I'm always interested in that as well. You know, but uh, alrighty, guys, I'll let you go. I'm gonna sign off. Great, and, guys. Yeah, it's been amazing, thank guys. You thank so you very much, much. my respected colleagues. Thank you yep. so much. We'll talk Jason. to you later. Thank yep. you. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. All right, guys, that was Carl L. Johnson and Jason Bertram. Um, amazing guests, as always. I always have an absolute blast talking to those guys. Um, it's such a – meeting these guys has been such a – well, even, like, you know, I have Carl's number. I text him happy birthday. Getting to know these guys has actually been, like you – know, even Jason, too, like, just absolutely humbling. These guys are scholars of their, of their profession, and they are – uh, you know, I guess I look at Carl and Jason, like role models, and like a like a of a field I kind of want to get into. So, um, yeah, thank you guys all for listening. It's been about a three hour show, so I got to sign off at that rate. I got to put a septic tank in tomorrow. So, um, thank you guys for listening, and as always, the show is pure steel and sex appeal. So.